know, it's hard to do worse than John Williams. Sorry, do better than John Williams. And now I've got an echo. Not sure who's the cause of that. All right. We're just going to roll with that. All right. Uh, yeah, John Williams, great composer. Great, great composer. I mean, there, he and Hans Zimmer, I think, are just unparalleled. The, the two best working right now, maybe the two best ever. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Radlich and Broadcasting Network's Movie Review Club. This week, yes, it's time for Star Wars. I've got to warn you all, I'm surrounded by Star Wars nerds for this one. And it's probably a good thing, because it turns out I don't have a whole lot to say on the subject. But I'm Robert Winfrey, and thank you all so very much for joining us. Uh, there's two people here with me today. I'm just going to kind of direct traffic. My, I have very few overall thoughts positive or negative to say about this movie, and I'm sure everyone else is going to cover them, so I'm going to get to, you know, enjoy doing less this time around. Someone else can carry me for a change. First up, my normal partner in crime, my boss, if, you know, I got paid. Uh, Mark Radlich is here. Mark, how you doing? Anyone that doesn't like Star Wars should be taken out in the street and tarred and feathered. Their house should be burned down and their children should be taken away from them. If you don't think this movie is the most perfect thing ever captured on film, you, sir, are a communist and a homosexual. Are we done now with now, the you review? Gotta be, you, you gotta be careful with some of those, you know, things you threaten people with. And if you don't understand why, feel free to look up the history of the LDS Church. <laughs> Because uh, in all seriousness, we were, you know, driven out of three different states, left the country quite literally at one point. So uh, just, you know, you were. I really debated uh, whether or not I was going to do that, by the way. I'm sitting here, you know, and it, it, people have been listening to these reviews over the last year or so know that I'm much more level-headed than that. I haven't even, on at least online, made a lot of my thoughts known about Star Wars, kind of watching the melee, as it were, between people spoiling it for others, people screaming and yelling about this and that and the other thing. And I've kept my, my opinions largely to myself uh, in favor of putting them all here. Um, but but I swear there are some people that are like that, that are just like, if you don't like Star Wars, I'm unfriending you on Facebook. And you know, the thought has occurred to me, too. <laughs> but, but I Whatever think, you know, will I do? <laughs> but right. uh, no, I don't really feel that way. <laughs> it's If you didn't like Star Wars, that, that's fine. You, you no, are... Mark's, <laughs> Mark's fanaticism is almost entirely gimmick. He loves the franchise, but he's also very realistic about the flaws. I believe you're the one no, who referred to the dialogue in the first one as a dumpster fire. <laughs> the Phantom Menace? Oh, boy. Oh, A New Hope. Uh, did I call it a dumpster fire? Because that seems a bit I harsh. I know, I know I hate the dialogue in The Phantom Menace. All right, let me also bring on another Star Wars enthusiast. I'm going to say enthusiast instead of geek, nerd, fanatic, so on and so forth, because I feel like being kind to people today. I don't know why. Maybe it's the Christmas spirit. It, highly unlikely, but maybe. Uh, he's you know, been around the Radlich and Broadcasting Network for a little bit. He's you know called in and co-hosted the 411 Ground and Pound radio show with me a couple of times. Uh, Andrew Graham is here with us all the way from you know the barren province of Alberta, Canada. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, guys. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I got they no complaints. Star- you guys get Star Wars up in Canada? That's amazing. Of course we do. Of course we do. Though, Mark, I would like to say before we get too far that I do disagree with your whole tart and feathered analogy. If we are going to do anything to non-Star Wars fans, we should be throwing them in the Sarlacc pit. (laughs) You find the Sarlacc pit, I'll start throwing them in. (laughs) Well, I mean, we do have the Badlands up here. We might have something around that area. 
You got, we you all got know it's in Tunisia somewhere. You got any Wendigos running around? Uh, no, but right now I think it's polar bear season. Excellent. I can I can definitely feed some people to polar bears, and then eat the polar bear. Because <laughs> <laughs> their meat is delicious, especially on a taco. Mm. Please get get this podcast going. No, no, this is this is a discussion of bear meat is actually quite interesting, and whether or not you know is their primary because bears are omnivorous, so whether or not your subject indulges more in meat or berries actually has a great deal to do with how well with you know the flavor that you get out of the meat. I'm going to give you three bears. seconds to move this on, or I'm going to play the Star Wars theme again. Yeah, I have moved in my well, fridge right now. All right. Uh, also, I believe. Uh, longtime friend of the Radalich and Broadcasting Network, Benjamin J. Cologne, wanted to call in at some point during this show. So I'll be keeping our eyes peeled for him, and when he gets on, he'll just you know get a chance to say his piece, because he's awesome. All right. Again, if you didn't know, I mentioned we're reviewing Star Wars The Force Awakens. All right. Everyone, here's your warning. The movie's been out for a week, at least, depending on where you are in the world. We're going to spoil stuff. We're going to talk about this in relative depth. There are plenty of quality reviews out there that do not spoil plot points, although if you watch Star Wars for the plot, I think you're fundamentally doing it wrong. Because, really, <laughs> this isn't, you know, not the best written stuff. But if you want to avoid spoilers, this is on-demand audio. You can find yep. us after the fact just as easily. Yeah, if, look, to be, to be clear, this is the, the, the Rattled and Broadcasting movie reviews are analysis and breakdown, and you can't really do that without spoiling the movie. Uh, it's been out a week at this point. If you haven't seen it, then just turn the fucking thing off and go watch the movie and come back, and then you can hear me yell about Max Landis. Yeah, I don't think Max Landis is entirely wrong on a couple of points. Max Landis should be taken out in the street and fed to the Sarlacc pit. Ah, see what I did there, Mr. Mr. Graham? Um, <laughs> Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Um, all right. Before, I'm, I'm going to hijack the show from Robert for just a moment, and I'm going to talk Go about... Ahead. I want, to, I want to talk about the Disneyfication of Lucasfilm. I want to talk about the... Uh, I, want to, I want to talk about expectations and people who don't necessarily study the movie industry as a way of setting up where where I am with the Force Awakens um, and why my take on it might be different from many of you many of yours other might be different from from Andrews. Um, I'm I'm someone who is in love with the movie business, and I'm not just in love with movies as art. I'm in love with the actual business of making movies. That's why I do this podcast because I really do enjoy the the, the big event tentpole blockbuster. I love everything that goes into it. I have read books on the subject about marketing these things and what it takes to get them done, and I enjoy that. So a couple of years ago, we did a podcast, two of them as a matter of fact, when Disney bought Lucasfilm and then unveiled their plan of uh, making a movie a year uh, from the Star Wars, uh, from Star Wars property. Now, if you go back all the way to the special editions, the special editions really angered people and soured people on the property, property being Star Wars. You know, hand uh, shot. First. Mark, before you get too far into that, uh, Benjamin's on, in the switchboard here. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on. You want to do a whole intro here and, and, or just bring him on quietly? Uh, do an intro. God damn it. <laughs> go ahead. I like wasting time. What can I say? All right, here he is. Uh, if you're a fan of the Rattlesh and Broadcasting Network, you know him as the title card artist for The Long Road to Ruin. He's been on that show a couple of times. He's been on my show, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, a couple of times. Uh, a supremely talented artist and a very insightful individual. Benjamin J. Cologne is joining us now. How are you doing this evening, Ben? 
I'm doing pretty good. Are you receiving me uh, properly? Yeah, we got you. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to interrupt, Mark, but um, I called in when he started roasting uh, Max Landis, and it was, it was like a dog whistle. It was, it was uh, like a siren song, really. Um, We're going to get to that. Believe me, I have plenty to say about the Max Landis, Ray is a Mary Sue thing. Yeah, so do I. I um, I probably have uh, quite a few things to say about this movie, but I'll, I'll uh, I'd like to let Mark get back to what he was before, what he was talking about before I interrupted. So to to, to make this short, because we have a lot of voices on, we have a lot to discuss. A lot has been done to sour people on the product. I think at, at, at the end of the day, it still obviously is a large fan base. It's, it's, it's approaching Avatar numbers at this point um, in terms of worldwide box office. Obviously, people still in their hearts love Star Wars, and we're kind of hoping that years of damage to the product were, were going to be dealt with, and, and it was, but I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. Between the special editions, the re-special editions, once they came out on Blu-ray, where he fucked them up even more, um, and then the prequels, which many, I think many people regard them as inferior to the original trilogy, there was a lot to be done in terms of rehabilitating this product and making it profitable for years into the future, okay? They, they kind of had to take this thing, shine it up, dust it off, and represent it to, an, to, to an, a new audience of kids, to, an, to the audience that's of kids that saw the prequels, to the audience, to my generation, who were kids when the original trilogy came out. I'm born 76. So I'm going to tell you what generation that is. To my father's generation, who's in his 60s. You're, you're talking about a, a, a huge, huge expanse of people here that you have to take this product and say, listen, and believe me, when I, when I tell you, people aren't paying that close attention to things. So when you say, hey, we're going to do a new Star Wars movie, people can judge our bicks, okay? That's, what, that's the last thing they're gonna, that, that they remember. They're like, oh, wow, that sucks. You know why You're doing this again? So... Disney, as a corporation, had to take Lucasfilm, had to take Star Wars and say, look, we got to relaunch this thing. This isn't, The Force Awakens isn't just a movie. This is a rebranding campaign and a marketing event. And I knew that going in. I even said to Robert jokingly in our last podcast, I'm sure Disney executives handed J.J. Abrams a checklist and said, make sure this shit's in the movie so people will remember the good things about the previous movies and not be so focused on all the damage George Lucas did over the last 20 years. That being Uh, said... Well, that's how J.J. Abrams makes his best films. Shut up, you. (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. That being said, I want to draw this to a conclusion here. I went in knowing I was going to see a lot of beats from the previous movies that were successful and well-remembered. I knew there was going to be a lot of familiarity with the, with the elder movies so that people coming into this would go, okay, I, this is what I remember. And people are saying this. This movie feels like what it's like to watch a Star Wars movie. That was done purposefully. So when I hear people talking about, oh, my God, it's a, it's a, it's a remake of A New Hope, I was like, okay, but it was never meant to be anything but that. It almost had to be that. My thing is, and the reason, reason why I think this is a successful movie, and I'm going to get off my soapbox now with this statement, it was much more than, than just a marketing campaign, just a rebranding effort. This is the best acted movie of all the Star Wars movies, okay? It helps that they didn't have a robot directing it this time. This is one of the best looking of all the movies. It helped they shot it on real sets and didn't do the whole thing in CGI like a goddamn cartoon, Phantom Menace. 
this this has the most well-developed characters, I think, of any of the previous movies. I know, and we'll talk about this later on, there are parts of this movie that grabbed a hold of my heart. There were times where it, there's a particular scene that just absolutely crushed it. And I don't remember feeling that way in any other previous Star Wars movie. Sure, you had the Luke, I am your father moments, and you know, you, you, know, you had your semi-dramatic moments, but for the most part, that's not what those movies were. This one was. There's a lot going on with this movie if one cares to look. And it's much more than just here's your checklist of things that are familiar that Star Wars people like. Go make sure that go make sure they're in the movie. Had it just been that, this review would have been Winfrey. Did you like it? That's okay. Radley, did you like it? That's what I thought what I thought it was going to be. Okay, plugs. I'm passionate about talking about it. I'm angry about some of the things that have been said about it because it's more than just that. The way you to... feel about this is apparent. So you understand, real quickly. The way you feel about this is quite analogous to the way I think a lot of people that I know at least feel about Mad Max. Now we're back to this again. No, no, just I, no, just I've, this is the first time I've ever heard you express this particular sentiment. I wish to inform you of the, uh, since you require empathy to make to you know fully understand things. The frame of mind that you're in when discussing things that people get wrong about this is kind of the emotional place a lot of the people I know go to when people say Mad Max is, you know, mindless action. <laughs> can, I, can I say it just once? No. Drive cars! Drive cars! Save the women! All right, I get it. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I'm going to, like I said, get off my soapbox, and if unless somebody has, like, a burning desire to, to refute anything I've just said, we can move on. Anybody want to contradict Mark? Uh, I can agree with him. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. It's agree. kind of interesting. Just touching on that, um, I remember when I I posted like just a you know a two line Facebook comment on one of the earlier trailers, and and my comment was something along the lines of um, it feels to me that we're going to get a, a a Star Wars movie that's about people again and not about plot lines. And I think The Force Awakens very much delivered on that. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that for the time being. I 100% agree with you. This, was a, this was a movie about people and not about action, nor was it a special effects demo reel. Go ahead, Ben. And those were all awesome, too. Let's not, let, let's not lie about that. <laughs> no, of course not. Okay, Ben, were you going to agree with Mark as well, or do you want to refute yeah, him? Yeah, no, I, I very much agree with Mark. Um, when I, going into it, you know, uh, especially when it comes to something that is, you know, so super nostalgic for me, um, my first and foremost, you know, uh, priority with, with movies like this, and, and this extends to the Marvel stuff, and this extends to a lot of stuff based on things that I grew up on is, uh, sort of the same way that I approach, you know, wrestling. And I'm, I think, you know, we're all wrestling fans to some extent or another. And, you know, the bottom line is, am I entertained? Was I entertained by this? And I was. And I can recognize, you know, that, you know, it's not perfect. There are things wrong with it. And none of the things that I consider to be wrong with this movie made this movie less entertaining to me. It didn't make me not like it. So usually, you know, you it, it's it's you know zero sum game. You gotta you gotta decide does you know do the things I dislike about this movie uh, outweigh the things that I do like? And that wasn't the case. Like it wasn't even close. Uh, that's always the struggle with especially analyzing films that you happen to enjoy. Because again, I freely admit there's plenty of movies that I like that objectively, no, nah, they're not good. They're not good at all. But darned if I can't just, you know, watch and enjoy. All right. Uh, I'll give you all a real brief plot synopsis here. 
And this is where some of your spoilers are going to come in. So if you enjoyed listening up to this point but still aren't sure about spoilers, I'm warning you all right now. This is it. I'm going through the whole thing. So be aware. And all of this will be discussed to varying degrees in the coming, you know, 90 minutes or so. So there's your final warning. Luke Skywalker has vanished. Go ahead. (sighs) And grew, uh, you know, a beard. (laughs) Like you do when you get old, apparently. Go on. Uh, All right. I'm going to say right now, I'm one of those people who think that, fundamentally speaking, this is a remake of A New Hope. I'm not saying good, bad, indifferent. I mean, if we're going by plot points, this is going to sound really similar to everyone who's seen that movie. Anyone ever hear the Smith song, Stop Me, if you think you've heard this one before? Well, play it, because you're about to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, All right, we open with... You know, like Andrew mentioned, this is primarily a story about people instead of plot. So the fact that elements of the plot are either underdeveloped or highly confused is less of an issue than it is in a plot-driven story. So bear with me. In the wake of the destruction of the Empire some 30 years ago at the close of Return of the Jedi, the Splendor, a Splendor faction, the remnants of that particular organization, you know, redistri- you know, coalesced themselves and became the First Order. They are, and it's never made clear whether or not they're part of the Republic, they oppose the Republic, why the resistance to the First Order would be called the Resistance when theoretically they have the backing of, you know, the entire galactic government. But no, boy, you're a resistance movement. Anyway, those two forces are opposed. Luke Skywalker has vanished after his Jedi Academy failed in the wake of... Again, I'm warning you all again. Here come the spoilers. He was training Luke, uh, excuse me, Han and Leia's son, Ben. He turned evil somehow. This is not explained yet, but I imagine we'll get more into that in the future. And, you know, episodes eight and nine... Uh, this crushing failure sent Luke off in search of, you know, enlightenment and a Jedi temple, and uh, I don't know. He he was crushed by the weight of his failure with his student. He has gone into voluntary exile. The First Order gained more traction. They've got some supreme leader, and every time they mentioned him as the supreme leader, I couldn't help but think of that running gag from Third from a uh, Third Rock from the Sun, where their leader is the big giant head. I just I couldn't <laughs> stop hearing it. I couldn't, and it made me laugh because William Shatner plays the big giant head. But th- so they're you know uh, the Resistance is looking for Luke. They believe they have located a map to him. Their best pilot has been dispatched. The First Order finds them. He gives the plan, sorry, map. <laughs> these aren't, these are, totally aren't galactic technical readouts of a giant battle station. It's a map. Those are given to a droid with more charisma than a third of the cast, at least the entire First Order. Uh, droid takes off across this desert planet while the pilot is captured by Kylo Ren, who leads these forces, who is uh, actually Han Solo's, you know, Han and Leia's child. Which, they spoil that way too early. And if I hadn't gone into this movie already knowing that Han was going to die, when they mentioned that, it's like, yeah, okay, he's dead. I mean, they they (laughs) telegraphed that very, very hard. We have to come back to this because it was a major issue for me in the movie about how early they spoiled the Kylo Ren, Ben Solo uh, reveal. Fair enough. Uh, Droid comes across a orphan scavenger in the desert, uh, Ray... They then meet up with a deserting stormtrooper who has taken the name of Finn. They are attacked by the First Order. They escape in the Millennium Falcon. They reunite with Han Solo, has apparently been looking for it. He and Chewie find it, take it back. They escape from gangs that Han is in debt to. They meet up with the uh, with elements of the Resistance. 
They are attacked. They escape. They meet up with the main resistance force. They plan an attack on not the Death Star. It's the Star Killer, which is another thing that really bothered me about this movie. The whole star, the whole Star Killer base. It's a giant. It's a planet-sized weapon. Or they hollowed out a planet and built a weapon again. It's not explained, but it doesn't need to be. It's a giant thing that can wipe out an entire star system. Which is fine and dandy. Villains need a big weapon of some variety. Uh, the resist the first order utilizing this weapon blows up the Republic. I can't help but feel like almost everything up until this point is like was designed as a plot device to get us back to what worked in A New Hope, which is small resistance force against the evil Empire. Because hey, we need to let's just keep rehashing stuff. They then point their giant weapon at the Resistance, and again, like Mark said, stop me if you've heard this one before, the Resistance launches a last-ditch attempt to destroy this weapon. They succeed. Han dies on the planet, mirroring, again, Obi-Wan's, mirroring Obi-Wan's death in A New Hope. He's and murdered really, by Kylo Ren. Give it, give it a little bit more credit. He, it's not like he slipped on a banana peel, had a heart attack, and died. He was murdered well, his by his son his- kills him. Uh, and the way they handled Han's death, I really have to yell about, if no one else does. I'll give you guys all first crack at that. But they succeed, they blow up the planet, uh, Ren and a good portion of the, you know, I imagine most of the evil forces escape. Ren goes back to his master, evil Andy Serkis. God, love, God bless Andy Serkis. I, I, that guy's awesome. Who, again, in this instance, plays the big giant head. I can't stop saying it. The Supreme Leader, whatever his name is, Snoke. Boy, that's a stupid name. Uh, And Ray, who is apparently extremely Force-sensitive, and if I had to guess, is going to wind up being Luke's daughter instead of Kylo's twin. Uh, Because, again, Ray and Ben Solo are twins in the the formerly canonical Expanded Universe stuff. I imagine they're going a slightly different way this time around, though it wouldn't shock me if they wound up going the same way. Again, the fact that there's two ways they can go and both can make sense. Well done as far as creating that circumstance. Uh, Ray utilizing the map, and R2-D2 wakes up at the end of all this, and, oh, he just happened to have, you know, the rest of the map. We just needed the last piece from BB-8. And the adorable little soccer ball. Uh, they put the map together. Ray, who has some kind of natu- both learned and natural gift for uh, mechanics and piloting, takes off on the Falcon with Chewie. They go to find Luke. They locate Luke on some planet. Apparently it's the home of the Jedi's first temple. And the movie ends with her offering Luke his old lightsaber back and him appearing a tad reticent. All right. Mark, there's my plot synopsis for this. Uh, where do you want to go? Um, I'm I'm going to let the guest actually step up here. Um, I'll let Andrew uh, kind of go through, I guess, I guess with, with, with all of us here in, in, in a limited time. Andrew, what would be, if you had one thing you wanted to talk about, what is your one burning desire about this movie? Oh, damn, that's a hard one because there's, there's a lot of really good stuff about this. Um, you know, I think it, a lot of the time goes back to that kind of that, we were talking about before with this just being a very character-based movie. I mean, you know, you referred to, to George Lucas as a robot earlier, and I think that's that's fairly dead on. I think it's kind of interesting they decided to take um, 
you know, they decide to go with J.J. Abrams, who's who's got a pretty good eye for action, but also I would say has a pretty good handle of character and maybe not such a great great handle of of story. And I think that's that's a lot of of why they set this up is you know you kind of relied on these very familiar beats of of okay, there's a giant super weapon. Of course, there's a design flaw. We go from the there. The fact that Han made a crack about it just I had to forgive all the fl- I had to forgive so many of the flaws when he says so. How do we blow it up? Because there's always a way to do that. Yep. And you know what? It worked 100. percent I realized when I was watching the uh, the, la- the kind of the, the last fight uh, lightsaber duel on on the planet. I realized at one point it's like you know what? I don't really care if this planet gets blown up or not. I really really care about what's going on between these three characters at that at that very moment. I mean that's that's a good part of it. I mean. A hundred percent agree with you. Um, I don't know if you listen to other online reviewers, but guys like the Nostalgia Critic and, and some others, they get so caught up in, oh my God, the best part of A New Hope was that lightsaber battle, or wasn't it cool in Attack of the Clones that Yoda, this little guy, this, you know, this little CGI blob, is running around with a lightsaber? And I'm like, no, none of The guy that has summed it up for me the best, you know, I'm going to steal directly from him, is um, I think it's Mike Skokoska or something like that from Red Letter Media, otherwise known as Mr. Plinkett who said that the best lightsaber battle is actually between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi because it wasn't just a fight. There was something behind it. You know, two guys smashing swords into one another may aesthetically look pretty. And of course, then, you know, then of course the Phantom Menace one is the best one. But without w- w- without some angst, without some gravitas, you're just watching people smash smash broomsticks into one another. Um, that was that was something I was actually I've basically been one of those things where I've basically been preparing a rant on on how good I thought this lightsaber fight was for just those reasons. I think. The best way that I think you can say about it is that the original trilogy had really good lightsaber battles that that maybe weren't as weren't as technically proficient just in the way they were shot, and they had a great fight choreographer named named Bob Anderson, who I'm going to be talking about when we do the uh, the Lord of the Rings: The Long Road to Ruin next month on the uh, Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. There's just uh, Bob Anderson. Uh, Bob Anderson. For those of you who don't know, Swordmaster Extraordinaire, the man. Oh, I love. God, there I aren't love words. That. Oh, he was genius. He was actually in uh, in Darth Vader's costume for a lot of those fights. Yeah, com- I think he went like uncredited as most of that too, which is really sad. Yeah. In any case, um, so I mean, the original trilogy I think had they were more technically limited as but got better as they got on. I, I honestly would probably say my favorite out of the series is probably the one at the end of End of Jedi until I saw The Force Awakens. And then you could probably say that the ones in the prequel trilogy were all really technically good from kind of a, let's see how much cool stuff we can do with with lightsabers and, and stuff like that. The one in Phantom Menace being the strongest. And then, uh, but again, they were a little bit mo- missing in emotion, in context and everything like that. And I just thought the um, the one that they did in The Force Awakens was just, it was damn near perfect. Like you had... You had a lot of psychology to it. You had a lot of emotion to it. You had stakes to it. I thought it came across like a it came across like a well orchestrated wrestling match. For the, and, and for those that don't understand what I mean by that, wrestlers who are proficient at their job tell a very good story in the ring. And there was a story in the fight. There was oh, they were saying things with the, with their bodies and, and and their actions in that fight that that didn't need to be expressed with dialogue. Oh, exactly. Like, I mean, you know, uh, to pick, you know, one character out of that, like, I mean, you know, you take Kylo Ren, and I mean, throughout the movie, you've seen him as being this, this, you know, this, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but this... Petulant teenager? Sorry? He's a petulant Petulant. teenager. 
I wouldn't go wouldn't go that far, but in a lot of his in a lot of his his um his portrayal, it's unnervingly still to the point where he gets angry, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I mean, you know, at this point, I mean, he's emotional, he's he's injured, and you can see him playing off that, and you can just kind of again, you can see where his psychology is, you can see where where Finn's psychology is, you can see how how Ray steps up, and it's just. Like it, it's a story within a story. Like I'm a I'm a long time martial artist. I'm a long time movie uh, you know fan of of basically any movie with a fight scene in it. And I think you know it's like any part of filmmaking where you can really tell a lot through that particular medium medium of what a fight is. And I think this is one of those ones that just knocked it straight out of the park. Yeah, um, people. I want to bring in here, and then I'll throw it over to Ben. I want to. Uh, Talk, people complain, like, oh, Finn automatically knows how to use a lightsaber. No, I think it's demonstrated pretty pretty well that in both times he used a lightsaber, he was barely proficient and probably just... I said to my father, who, you know, he and I kind of had a discussion about this earlier. I said, it's you, you can probably assume that he had some basic training in sword fighting. And my father was like, why? Well, you know, it's not like when I was in the army, I had, I had you know, I was fencing. I had a machine gun, for fuck's sake. And I said, well, there's a guy, there's a stormtrooper who comes at him with with a hand-to-hand combat weapon. I assume they're training them in some way, so he had at least a basic knowledge of how to use a sword of some sort. Um, and even and even at that, he's still kind of fumbling around and just barely getting through. And he got his ass beat by by Kylo Ren. On the other side of that, you have uh, Ray's character, who you know people talk about. And I'm going to get a little bit more into this when when we get into Max Landis's comments. Um, how she doesn't have an art, but she but she does. Ray's whole thing is about, you know, as Maz Kanata's character said, finding that sense of belonging. You know, she's so she's so anxious, she's so afraid that her family she'll miss her family coming back for her. That one, she doesn't even want to leave Jakku, but when she does, she wants to get back there, even when there's opportunities in front of her to better herself. And over the course of this story, she gets over that and finds that there's, you know, that, that she has something great within her and there's something greater for her out there. She, she just needs to, to have, be brave enough to go after it. And by the end of the movie, she does. Is she, you know, is her story over? Is her art complete? No, of course not. But it, it needed to, the A to B that it went to was sufficient enough for this movie. But getting back to the lightsaber duel, the whole... Her ability to control the Force was always there. This is, you know, and, and this is what's been said about the Force in all, in all the other movies, is that whether or not, and, and I think Leia is actually a really good example of this, you may have an inherent ability to use the Force. Whether or not you choose to use the Force or how you choose to do it is wholly dependent on your character. It's why some people succumb to the dark side while others remain in the light. And others, like Leia, choose to be, you know, choose to abstain from using it at all. So you have Ray, who's been abandoned on this planet, who's, who's focused on survival. If you go back all the way back to the beginning of the picture, the thing that they set up for her is she's just surviving. She's out there scraping away, finding, uh, you know, scavenging for, uh, for stuff to sell to, so she can eat. And it's getting harder and harder as she gets more and more taken advantage of by, you know, those who control the resources. Yep. By Simon Pegg, and, actually. Yeah. Um, so to, to wrap that up, it made sense to me that in a fight or flight situation, suddenly this thing that's always been there, she's able to tap into. And it would make even more sense that if she's part of a Skywalker clan, that she would be even more powerful than, you know, sort of the average 
you know, a force user with no training. The fact that that, the people are struggling with this. People are like, oh my God, how did Ray all of a sudden, how was Ray all of a sudden able to beat Kylo Ren? It's like, people aren't really thinking things through that they're making those kinds of comments and asking those sort of questions. Because one, Kylo, they've even said in the movie, Kylo Ren didn't finish his training. The last words fucking Supreme Leader Snoke says are, bring him back to me so that I can complete his training. The guy's obviously unstable and doesn't have complete control over the Force. At not, no point in this movie is he said to be some sort of crazy master of all things. They've said over and over again, he's a nutcase. So it would make sense to me that, again, when someone's life is threatened and they are on the threshold of being killed, that they are, you know, that that fight or flight kicks in, that adrenaline kicks in, and then you throw magic on top of it, that she's able to hold her own and get out of a situation where her life was in danger. Ben, to you. Go. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll try to double back uh, to what you were talking about, uh, about the lightsaber fight. Um, I'll try to keep this short, sweet, and to the point. Um, I actually took the time after I watched Force Awakens and, you know, not that I would ever spend any kind of money on a Star Wars prequel, but I looked this up on YouTube. Uh, I looked up the, the lightsaber fight in episode three and looking back on it and seeing that with the, with the, uh, lightsaber fight in, uh, in Force Awakens, it really exposed how, just how hollow and how soulless and how overly choreographed the episode three fight was, uh, to the point of kind of hilarity, um, you know, uh, there's maybe one and a quarter good actors in that in, in that uh, episode three fight, and that's probably giving Aiden Christensen uh, more credit than he should should get. Um, it's all. Yeah, let's done. be fair. The writing for that version of Anakin Skywalker was atrocious. I don't think Daniel Day Lewis could have saved it. That's true. That's true. But um, it was it was a one two punch because you know no matter what Hayden Christensen was not a good enough actor to elevate bad writing, nor is uh, nor is jo- nor is George Lucas proven to be a good enough writer or director to uh, sort of prop up a mediocre actor. Uh, so you put those things together and you have episode two and three where, you know, Hayden Christensen is completely lost and so is the guy behind the camera that's supposed to be directing him. Um, I'll take this opportunity to say, like, I've been saying this to as many people as I possibly can who will listen. Kylo Ren was the character that George Lucas was trying to make Anakin in episode two and three. I'd agree with that. And and here it works, I think. He's, you know, younger than you would expect. He's, like, super strong with the Force, but he's really unfocused and really undisciplined and full of rage and full of conflict, and therefore he's really easy to manipulate. And we see that throughout the entire movie. Um, you know, the, you know, when, when Han Solo is killed and just rips the heart out of every, you know, Star Wars fanboy that was watching, um, you see, you know, and, and props to, you know, Adam Driver for, uh, selling this, but you see, and you see his face and you see this conflict, uh, you know, when, right before it happens where it's like he, it's, he feels, it, it seems like he feels like it's something he has to do. And there's this little part of him that doesn't want to, but there's it, it, it almost seems like there's more of him that feels like he has to in order 
to to get to the next step of whatever he's trying he's trying to get to and these are things that we haven't found out you know the details of which of course um we're being set up for 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 sequels and and th- that's going to come up a lot you're going to see a lot of hey, things ben, like that come up yep did you ever read the grand uh, the, the, the throne trilogy i, I want to say it's the throne trilogy and not dark empire um do you for, for the sake of argument um did you ever read the throne trilogy no i'm afraid not unfortunately like i i've always meant to get into like this the expanded universe stuff and i never i was never able to i've heard you know about i've almost heard like it's 50 50 really good and really bad so some of it's it's bad yeah i've never heard anyone say anything bad about the thrawn trilogy people have always said that they should have made the next series of movies that Um, i just mean the expanded universe in general because there's some like i'm hearing like some series are better than others and some series are way better than others yeah well, the reason why I bring it up is that interaction between um, Han Solo and Ben Solo on the bridge with no rails. Um, sorry, this is the real. Ocean I want... has no say over the either the evil empire or the First Order, apparently. <laughs> I, I just watched the Pittsburgh Dad review of it, and he brought up the same thing to Family Guy quickly. Like, I just bought a rail. Um, anyway, <laughs> worried we'll lean against it. No rails in the Star Wars universe. Um, in any case, it, it, while they're while they're having that interaction, that heartfelt interaction there, and he's saying that you know he feel he 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 has his weight on him, and he 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 feels There's he has to with do something. But he and their clan, where apparently they must kill their fathers. I, I, well, like, get into that. Hang on, because there's a character in the Thrawn trilogy who Luke later on in in, in the um, now non-canonical uh, expanded universe named Mara Jade. Mara Jade's character is that she's like she's the the, the secret uh, um, assassin of the Emperor. Uh, she's the Emperor's hand, and she's been trained from the get-go and mind-controlled from the get-go to kill Luke Skywalker. And she just has it beaming in her head over and over again, kill Luke Skywalker, kill Luke Skywalker. And, you know, she feels, no matter how close to him she ended up getting throughout those books, she still felt, you know, she had to kill him, she had to kill him. And finally, she kills that. She ends up killing his clone. Um, and, and she's able to finally rid herself of, of that bit of mind control. But that's kind of what that reminded me of, that Snoke sort of put it into his easily malleable head that he had to kill Han Solo in order to, you know, continue his path to all the all all the power there is in the dark side. And it was and and there was a portion of him that didn't want to, but he needed to get that out of his system. He needed to get that like it wasn't like he didn't walk Han Solo into a trap sort of so much as he needed to excise this particular demon from him and then once it was done, you know, he it was always like exhaling, you know what I mean? Just sort of, huh Finally, I can move on with my life. You know what I mean? It was kind of a Mark. It was kind of a. There was one interesting bit of dialogue from 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 Kylo and kind of one stream that I picked up that was really interesting. And throughout the, the original trilogy, you're always talking about you know people being seduced by the dark side. And throughout this movie, I mean, you know, he was talking about he was afraid of being seduced by the light. And at one point, I mean, he's basically sitting there and, for lack of a better word, you know, praying to Darth Vader to to deliver him. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I have a burning desire to talk about, um, about the whole Kylo Ren arc. Uh, and then I definitely want to get into Ray, which will lead us to Max Landis. Um, if that's okay with you guys. Um, I really liked Kylo Ren. I feel like him and Ray, the, the whole picture rests on their shoulders. I liked Finn too, but I don't feel like, I feel like 
he's a fun he, he was a fun character and he definitely had an arc too he he you know as the uh as the ask a ninja guy once said he had a plot line but i wasn't as interested in his plot line and his character arc as i was ray and kylo ren's uh, i found kylo ren to be a much more interesting villain than we've seen in many of the pictures that rob and i have reviewed of this past year he certainly outranks most of the marvel villains but that ain't difficult the ball's low um one of the <laughs> one of the um they gave away his, the fact that he was Han Solo's son so early in the movie, and I was talking to my friend about this, and I, I, and in his reaction, my, what I said was, you don't have that Luke, I am your father moment in this. You don't have that dramatic reveal that I was wanting to see. I Because I, I knew it was coming, but I still wanted there to be, you know, that dun-dun-dun, you know, Kylo Ren is Ben Solo moment. And it never comes because they gave it away so early on in the movie. Um, on the other hand, it leads to a scene where Han and Leia are talking about, with a lot of regret in their heart, talking about how they lost their son. And more so than Han Solo's actual death, more so than any kind of reveal would have, that broke my heart. It was the most dramatic thing I've ever seen in a Star Wars movie. I, there were audible guests. When Han Solo dies, I was like, okay, I, 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 Winfrey and I knew knew this was going to happen the week before we saw, you know, we reviewed the movie, we saw the movie, we talked about it during the Good Dinosaur review without spoiling it for anyone. Um, we, uh, so, but I wasn't prepared for them to talk about the loss of feeling like you're a terrible parent, you know, and making decisions that 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 caused your son to go as bad as Kylo Ren as as Ben did, and that to me. That, that to me was like the, the climax of the picture, you know, in terms of, you know, this is about people and not just about, you know, and not a Michael Bay film. Um, I don't know what you guys thought of that, but I felt like that to me said it all about his character is that, you know, he has these people in his life, you know, his parents who uh, screwed him up. And then, you know, and then he has this relationship with a mentor that goes completely south. And now he's this really unstable or petulant, angsty guy trying to figure out, you know, thinking that, okay, the way of Darth Vader is the way to go and then trying to figure out how to get there. You know, it's like he's misguided, but he's, he's sympathetic. Um, just, uh, I'm going to take a breath here. What did you guys, I mean, I, I mean, I, let, let, let me be clear in the interest of uh, uh, full disclosure, I've got two kids of my own. So the fact that, you know, a parent is talking about losing their children was, didn't have to be Star Wars to affect me, but I'm curious to see how it affected you guys. Uh, ben, please go ahead. Um, yeah, I can, I can see that. And this is once again, and like I said, we're going to be saying this a lot. This is something that they baited and, you know, planted seeds for it to set up, you know, to expand on later on. But the idea that, uh, first of all, just the idea that this, you know, that the story goes on after Return of the Jedi, that life goes on and, and people go on and characters go on and they don't necessarily end up in, in the places that you might expect them to. And, and that's, that's relatable to anybody. Um, and also the idea that these, you know, these central three characters from the original trilogy, you got Han, you got Leia, and you got Luke. And it's setting up a sort of scenario where all three of them in their own way feel like they failed him, like they failed this kid. Uh, and they may in their, you know, each in their own way be, be correct and in their own way may not necessarily be correct. Uh, it's like what kid in the throes of drug addiction. You, you yeah. as a parent 
feel like yeah. you failed. On the other hand, you're you know, you're watching this person destroy their life and everyone around them. Yeah, I can see that. That's that's good actually. Um, you said it probably better than I could have. Uh, but I'm I'm hoping and and you know to to double back on what we we're saying about the plot and how this was very familiar and almost you know to 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 the movie's detriment and that's an issue that i had with the movie is is how familiar a lot of things seemed especially going you know the closer we got you got to the end once again it didn't make me dislike the movie i kind of understood what it was and what it what, you know what it was doing and that this is setting up star wars for a new generation could it have been done a different way possibly uh this is the way they went with it i'm hoping that this you know is the, the entry point and now it can expand from here and i would almost bet money that it does i said now now they've got the they, they've done the safe thing and they've succeeded i think now they can start taking chances with it well um i'll get into you know what i've been reading lately about episode eight in a minute but um one thing I hope they do keep and just to come at it from a different angle. Now they have a really good opportunity to come at a very central theme of the, the original trilogy, especially Return of the Jedi. They have, a, they have a chance to approach it in a different way, and that is uh, redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, because Vader was redeemed in, in Return of the Jedi, and it cost him his life. It almost cost Luke his life, too. This is one of the reasons why, like, you know... You know everybody. You know everybody and their mother that I know is who's a Star Wars fan is a Han Solo fan. I like Han Solo, but Luke Skywalker is always my character because I love his arc and what he does and what he accomplishes in the original trilogy. And it's basically he's able to redeem you know one of the greatest film villains of all time and Darth Vader, and he does it through you know through love and through you know, his faith in friendship and through, you know, raw courage and he's willing to die for it. Um and, you know, that's that's a great thing. That's a great theme and that's what you know, one of the things that made the original trilogy great. They have an opportunity to do to approach that theme from a compl- from a whole different angle, uh and they can make it more personal. They can make it more far-reaching because it's it, it's uh, affecting more characters, characters that we've seen. It's already cost one of them his life, uh, which I want to, you know, I think it's set, it, it sent things in a very interesting direction. It, you know, it wasn't the most unique of ways to start things off, but I'm, I'm hoping where we end up is someplace uh, you know, someplace very different, but very, you know, you know, reassuring and, and something that, once again, it still feels like Star Wars. And, and, you know, one of the biggest themes in Star Wars is redemption. Andrew, Kylo Ren's arc, specifically um, the relationship between Han and Leia, any um, thoughts on that? Any feelings? Uh, I thought the, uh, I actually quite agreed with the, the decision to kind of, uh, you know, reveal it earlier in the plot line, because then it set up... It, it set up a different kind of tension going forward on that one. It was setting up a question of what decision he was going to make when you already knew that he was uh, he was a conflicted character, and when you also knew that that you know that Han and Leia were in there. And I mean, I've got a I've got a two year old daughter. I've got another one on the way in a couple months here, and and you know, those scenes. Sorry, Mazel Tov. Oh, thank you. Um, and I mean, you know, those scenes with with Han and Leia were you know it definitely gets to you. And I think I think your analogy about you know, the kind of dialogue you'd use in a scene talking about a kid who was addicted to drugs, I think that's that's a very, very similar one. But I think, because the way they were setting it up, part of the 
part of the you know the discussion on the ridiculously unsafe catwalk and part of the tension there was almost like on the flip side of it is that they were almost ending up with the possibility that maybe they were gonna gonna at least turn kylo neutral Mm. or something along that line i mean it was it was definitely out there but i mean it would have been kind of a ballsy turn to say okay let's take let's take this first villain with the full knowledge that we still have snoke and a whole bunch of other knights of ren out there to serve as bad guys we take this guy turn him good and then we get to see that redemption arc from another point of view because i think one of the interesting things about ren is that you see him that you know, he's got this incredibly, very creepy, still presence, and obviously a high temper, but unlike Vader, for example, he wasn't necessarily going around force-choking everybody in the in the First Order who made him unhappy. Right. He seemed to be, I mean, Vader obviously if there was somebody... Character. Sorry, go ahead. Vader was a very different villain. First of all, you know, in terms of you know, keeping in context of, of the universe, Vader was, was fully given to the dark side, and so he sort of relished in his ability to uh, wear his feelings on his sleeve. So if he was angry with you, you know, it, it, it's kind of, if I have a gun, would I use it in public sort of mentality? Yeah. So he, he always has a loaded gun, and it, it, it's kind of like, you know, you're standing in line, and the person in front of you wants to pay, you know, for $100 of dirt and pennies. You're like, if I had a gun, I'd fucking shoot you. That sort of thing. Well, he always has a gun. He always has a loaded gun. And when someone says to him, you know, um, it could be smugglers, it could be, and it's like, nope, that's the system, you asshole. Yep. <laughs> and you came out of light speed too, too close to the thing, and now you, yep. you know, I'm going to take out my gun and shoot you. You haven't conjured up those plans yet, Lord Vader. <laughs> um, and but, you have but, no idea on how to flip that house. <laughs> Your your notions of the real estate in Cal in Los Angeles. All right, let's move on. Um, but no, he but Kylo Ren's not there yet. He doesn't quite have sort of the loaded gun thing going on. He's still struggling with all of this. And I think that's that's part of the interesting part of it is that I think you're going to see a lot of, or at least I'm hoping to see a lot of conflict going forward on that one because I think it would be I think it would be dangerous from a from just a kind of a pure critical review to try and take him in the exact same sort of, um, you know, arc that Vader went through in a lot of ways, and maybe even, you know, by the end of the second movie, turn him into a, a neutral point or, or somebody who's got quite Can a I bit... Can just say I'd be happy if he died? I mean, <laughs> Ben mentions that, you know, a big theme of this is redemption, and in this instance, we're getting it from a different perspective. Instead of, you know, more of the, instead of kind of the Vader thing where, you know, here is this horrible person who is responsible for all of these terrible things... It's more the pe- you know, the characters dealing with their guilt and their failure and having to find their own personal redemption as it pertains to him. If he goes full rabbit, the only way to deal with him is to put him down. I'm just saying. Um, I want to add something to, to this. I think Kylo Ren's, uh, not wishy-washy, but Kylo Ren's struggle gives you some interesting... I think it makes the Supreme Leader Snoke character more interesting. And here's why. And Winfrey hears that and I'm like, what? But no, he- hear me out on this. If you if you think about Snoke being Dark Plagueis, which they haven't revealed, they may not. It may not be. That's not. This may not be the direction they're going in. But let's Popular assume for theory. what they are. Huh? Popular theory. Yep. That or um, somehow Palpatine survived. It's the other well, one I've the heard. Point. The theory is that is that Dark is that um, Palpatine thought he killed Dark Plagueis. Dark Plagueis sort of just went into hiding, but he's been secretly manipulating the events that, you know, that led to the Empire, and, you know, and it all went to Plaid, it all went to hell, and so he had to kind of get, he had to sort of get the remnants of the Empire back, and he's the driving force behind the First Order, and 
he's like, okay, in order for this to succeed, I've got to get rid of the Jedi, make sure they're out of the way. And, you know, if I can convert them to the dark side, great. If I can't, fuck them, kill them. So you, so when you think about, like, he's put a lot of eggs in the Kylo Ren basket, and there's a sense of anxiety with Snoke that if this schmuck, you know, fails me and ends up returning to the light, I'm in trouble, and I don't know if I've got enough backup here to, to fix it. You know, um, that's one of the things I liked about, you know, Luke Skywalker, you know, being the, the race to find Luke Skywalker being a big thing that moves the plot forward in this movie is that with, without, with, without beating it to death, just by just alluding to it, I got the sense that Snoke's whole plan to return uh, the Empire to, you know, to its supremacy teetered on the edge of a knife. And that with, you know, and with Luke coming back, it was going to make things exponentially harder for him. And he Which couldn't let that happen. kind of bothered me. I'm going to be honest about that. That, that bothered well, well, me a little well, bit because there's nothing in the movie to support that other than his kind of obsession with it. But I, I, but how am I coming up with it then if it's not in the movie? I mean, you know, I, I can't. It spoke to me, I, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like using nothing but what I saw in the movie, that's what that's what occurred to me. It's kind of interesting. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, and I mean, I think, I mean, a lot of this is dependent on what we what we see on the rest of the rest of the Knights of Ren and the whole concept of of discarding the rule of two of only there being a master and apprentice. But I think it's. You know, I mean, if we want to even go back to the very start of the movie, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, for any flaws he has, how friggin' powerful Kylo Ren is when, you know, Poe takes that shot of him and he uses the force to freeze the blaster bolt midair. And keep like, the I mean, while he's, he's in, sorry? And kept the blaster frozen while he's yeah, like, I mean, doing other stuff. I mean, it's a full five minutes before that, before he finally lets it go. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of something for somebody who's familiar with the mythology and familiar with everything. It's like, shit, I have never seen anybody, you know, anyone do that before. We better not be fucking around with this guy. Right. I think he kind of um, had me from that point forward. Uh... I'm glad Rot Winfrey spoke up there. I wanted to give him an opportunity to sort of chime in here, so he wasn't like, like "Why am I on this podcast?" But I do want to talk about Ray because because I got to get the Max Landis stuff out. I spoke a little bit before about how people are complaining that Ray had no arc, and people are also complaining that it makes no sense for her to go from um, this nobody scavenger to suddenly a powerful Jedi. And I want to take those people and smack them. Um, I, I don't. I, did you watch the same movie that I did? Um, and maybe if you did, maybe you failed tenth grade English. I, I don't know how you come come to those conclusions. And if I've now consulted somebody on this podcast, I apologize. But um, I just I, I don't get it. Now claims well, that to... she doesn't have an arc are specious. There's an arc. They go out of their way to verbalize elements of her arc because apparently, for whatever reason, they couldn't do it without having the characters actually say it. Well, for well, whatever reason, they verbalized the arc and people still came away from the movie going, she doesn't go anywhere! Fucking Max Landis! I know, Landis, I know, which... Max Landis, who was a professional screenwriter, wrote American Ultra and I believe Victor Frankenstein, both bombed this year, by the way, tough guy, could uh, to figure out what her arc was and said there wasn't one. Which, again, it just kind of baffles me. I mean, they go so far out of their way to beat you over the head with her arc that I kind of went, man, I wish you guys were better at this because you wouldn't have to put it up in big, bold neon signs. But apparently they do <laughs> because there are people who still don't get it. Yeah, like professional screenwriter Max Landis, or am I beating that subject to death? You are. No, no. my own gripe <laughs> with Ray was, oh, hey, she can suddenly convince people to do what she wants them to do without any prior training. I mean... 
I would have been so much happier if her, you know, panicked attempts to get out of her situation led her to utilize the force to just kind of violently shatter her restraints instead of, I have now suddenly learned the subtle art of force mind manipulation. And I will hey, hang on. Yeah. Craig, it's a good idea to let me Hang on, let me ask one for your question, and then and then we can open this up. Is your problem with her sudden ability to use the force an issue of this could have been dramatized better, or you didn't like the fact that it happened at all? Oh, it could have been done better. They established relatively early that she's she's you know force sensitive. She can resist Kylo Ren's mind probe. I mean, I have no problem with her. You know, again, within her you know desperation to escape certain death, tapping into these abilities. It's more the fact that they chose to go with, oh, I can now very subtly manipulate this poor, stupid stormtrooper into doing what I want instead of what I think would be a more realistic approach of, you know, again, violently shattering her restraints. Okay, somebody tried to jump in here. Was it you, Andrew, or Ben? I was just making a smart-ass remark about the fact that she was able to mind control uh, James Bond. I know. <laughs> Hell somehow yeah. Got, yeah, because you're going to get Daniel Craig to release you from bondage. Yeah, good luck with that one. You know what? Matt Damon taught us that some people can just sit down and play a piano with not a single lesson, and other people can do, um, you know, other people can do complex math. Her thing, she can just sit down and tap into the finer arts of the Force. I oh, I thought it was stupid that Matt Damon could perfectly play a piano too. <laughs> Go ahead, I'll, Ben. I'll throw this out here. Um, and first of all, uh, you know. Max Landis, a lot of the things that he says are just based around the idea that he hasn't said anything in a while. So, you know, you take that for what it's worth. <laughs> um, it's very frustrating to, to be to be paid to do what he does and fail at it at every turn since Chronicle. Well, he doesn't fail at it those, at every turn. He had a rough year. Those pastel colored plaid suits ain't going to pay for themselves. Um, and they're surprisingly expensive. Yeah. What I'll say is um, there were a couple of I, – I tempered, you know, my thinking that maybe, you know, cer certain force abilities came a little bit too easy to Ray with the fact that as much as we like to not speak of the, of the prequels, um, the amount of stuff that Anakin picked up in the prequels blows anything that this girl was doing in this movie completely away <laughs> in terms of plot convenience and in terms of you haven't earned this ability that you're demonstrating. Uh, so I kind of look at it that way. Um, and, and this is, you know, a character that we already, you know, in the, in the prequels, this is a character that we already knew everything about and what was ultimately going to happen to him. Uh, Ray, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of sequel baiting questions. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that everything came, you know, super easy to her. I'd say, you know, certain things came easier to her than it probably would for, you know, you know, your average, uh, you know, schmo that was trying to learn the Force. Um, there's really not a whole lot of precedent for that. We've seen Anakin, we've seen Luke, and that's about it in terms of the mainstream, like, Star Wars film universe as far as, like, you know, who's learning the Force and how fast. And if you remember didn't take Luke a whole lot either as far as what we saw on the screen. Uh, add to that, we don't know, you know, how far Luke has come yet since then. Um, there could be all kinds of other stuff that, uh, that you know, that we don't know about. Um, 
you know, and maybe you know, maybe they'll get into that. Maybe the uh, you know the mind you know the mind tricks and the uh, telepathy and the telekinesis and, and that sort of thing. Maybe that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the forest. Like we, uh, there's a lot we don't know yet. Um, I liked, I generally I liked Ray's arc just because of. Uh, I generally I liked all of the new kids and all and and the new cast in this in this movie. Everybody brought something different, and um, there was this enthusiasm uh, that that Ray kind of brought out that uh, helped a lot with some of the more convenient aspects of what she was doing. Uh, and then you know you balance that out where you know she can go from giddy and and kind of almost fangirlish and. And then to you know conflicted and and kind of you know unsure of herself and and a little bit a little bit tortured not you know tortured like like Kyle Ren was but um, she's got her own uh, issues and her own things that you want to see what's happening it it mitigates a lot of uh, you know some of the more convenient stuff and and even goes a little ways towards explaining some of it. Um, can we just deal with this so that I can get over it and get on with my life or or, or my kids are going to have a terrible Christmas. Um, and so Landis calls Ray a Mary Sue. Yeah. Okay? And he says, you know, everything comes to her too easily. I can see his point. I still think he's wrong. Okay, well let's let's yeah. let's kick this around so that I so that I can then put it away and we can move on. What point do you see? Well, she can fly the Millennium Falcon effortlessly and and you know, a superb level instantaneously, despite having never flown a starship before. She Disagree. can fix it. She I, can fix on. it. Disagree with immediately all the time. And in addition to being a phenomenal a phenomenally gifted pilot and mechanic, she is now an auteur idiot savant with the force. I mean, there there is quite literally, as far as this world goes, nothing she can't do nearly perfectly. I disagree with that. She was missing stormtroopers with that blaster. Yep. Well, okay, so she can't shoot very well. I'm gonna. Although, I'm gonna, hey, the stormtroopers' accuracy didn't improve a whole lot. They're stormtroopers. You'd expect that. The visibility in those helmets must be like less than zero. Right, before I, I... they didn't miss the village when they tried to execute it. Just honestly, <laughs> I almost expected the villagers to on mass go duck. That's have why one of them had a flamethrower because you can't miss with that. No, well, you I think can't. Uh, if Finn's accuracy on some of the last shows that it's all about helmet design. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and the and, and the uh, flamethrower. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it. It says baseballs on it. Baseball's the flamethrower. Oh, never mind. All right. I fundamentally disagree with everything Robert just said, but um, I've also sort of moved, I've also nudged him away from the leadership of this discussion. So I'm going to calm myself, take a Xanax, and I'm going to ask Andrew, do you, um, where do you stand on what Robert said, what Landis said, any of it? Well, I mean, I'll fully admit, I had only seen the, the Landis remarks in passing. This is the first time I'm kind of digesting it, and I, I fundamentally disagree with it. I mean, um, I mean, on some level, you know, the Force is a bit of a MacGuffin to c- kind of get characters to where you need to, but I think a lot of what she does comes from some level of logic. I mean, you know, she spent her entire life on a planet either driving something around or, uh, or uh, you know, trying to fix it. So she's got some mechanical aptitude. She's got some, uh, and she's got some flying skill, which they've said kind of force-sensitive people tend to have a little bit of um, 
uh, story. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the word there, but a little bit of precognizance. I was gonna say they they seem to have innate ability to be able to fly at high speeds or drive at high speeds. Yeah, because they got a little bit of precognizance. They can see what's coming almost ahead of them a little bit. So I mean, and I mean, you look at that scene where they're trying to get out of there on the Millennium Falcon. I mean, that thing got quite a few scuff marks on it from uh, from trying to get away from those Tie Fighters. Um, I mean, you know, I mean the. The gag with her mind controlling the one stormtrooper, okay, that one's a bit of a, that one's, uh, that one I can, you know, kind of roll my eyes at a little bit, but it was a funny enough scene that I, I didn't really care about it at the end of the day. But again, it, you know, it kind of comes down to what are the rules of the force relative to the universe? And I mean, a lot of it seems to be just if you concentrate hard enough and you start humming, do, 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 then, you know, it'll work for you. So It never worked when I did it. <laughs> I yeah, I do it all the time. It works for me. Um, the only other thing I wanted to touch base on, going back very briefly to the um, the whole fight at the end and, and people complaining about that one, which I'm kind of surprised I haven't heard more of about. But, you know, she kind of walks around wielding a staff for a lot of the time. And, I mean, going from staff to sword, that's a, that's a pretty yeah, – it's not one-to-one, but it's a pretty straightforward skill set. I mean – whether you use a short stick, a knife, a sword, whatever, I mean, everything swings on eight angles, and, and they all kind of work the same way. Can I can I throw in one really geeky question, everybody? Because I've been wondering about this. Given that we've seen that, like, it, it's a, it's been established very, you know, early on that Ray is good with a staff, and now she's got, you know, for you know, she's got force ability, and will presumably do some Jedi training at some point, probably, you know, right into Episode Eight. Um, does anybody have the feeling that she might end up with some version of the Darth Maul, like double lightsaber? Does anybody? I hope so. I so do I. I would go with my- that for a double-edged lightsaber that you can split into two, and then you can start doing like Kali stuff, like Heaven Six. <laughs> okay, I don't want to retread what Andrew just said. I want to move the discussion forward. So I think he, I think he answered Winfrey's concerns pretty, pretty directly. I agree with you 100. percent Let me, let me take things to a, a step further. I don't. The ultimate question is: Does do things come to her too easily? Are there? Is she just smashing through the hurdles like the Hulk? Or, you know, or are they presenting her some level of difficulty, which is what you want to see in a dramatic narrative? And the answer is yes to the latter. There are hurdles. Her life is in danger multiple times throughout the, throughout the feature. She has to use a combination of wit and ingenuity and a little bit of luck to get through them. But there are definitely, you know, the, the sense that there's no dramatic tension in any of the times that she, that her life is in danger, I think is nonsense. Which is why she, I disagree with his point about her actually being a Mary Sue. Okay, and that's, and that's fine, but, that, but that's what I wanted to say. But his, when his, his argument was essentially, and now I'm going to let this go after this, is, you know, you compare her to Luke. Luke sucks at everything that he does. Luke struggles. Things don't work out for him, and he's a much more interesting character. When were things working out for Ray? She's driven from her home, from her home that she was abandoned on in the first place at gunpoint. Gun she's thrown into a situation where she has to fly a ship or die, and um, and and they they make it out. But what would you want her to die in the first act of the film? This is what I don't understand. There were multiple times Luke should have been killed too, and somehow manages to make it through. Yeah, it's called so, plot shield. But I mean, if, if, but it's also called you know your your hero's journey. So I mean, what do you want? Do you want your hero to die in the first? No, episode? again, I calling her a Mary Sue is fundamentally inaccurate in the sense that there is tension around her. You know, again, she 
has to struggle to overcome aspects of the plot that are imposed upon her, but she has no issues. But again, her aptitude for things within that universe is again, nearly flawless, which is where which is where you can easily confuse her with an actual Mary Sue. Uh, again, I can see where you are, where people would be misguided along that line, but I again, I disagree with it. But I understand how they got there. All right, I'm I'm going to be honest, guys. I haven't seen a lot of the you know feedback, both either positive or negative, about the movie. It's just not been that high on my radar. I very rarely will see or read a lot of other critical analysis of something that we're going to review here. I don't like to bias myself before I see the actual movie. So I can just I can say that my biggest concern about this movie going into it actually was Harrison Ford. Because he's had, you know, some not-so-great outings recently. And I was I was genuinely kind of worried about how is he going to, you know, is he going to be able to get back into being Han Solo, who is, you know, a very, not just beloved character, but a very, you know, solidly drawn, very, you know, iconic figure. And could, you know, Harrison Ford at his age get back into that and still be Han Solo and I was very quickly it, those concerns were very quickly alleviated because I, I mean it, it shocks me genuinely that he went you know 30 years or so between portrayals of that character because it just seemed so effortless for him to step back into that character again just and it proves again that you know a Star Wars movie without Harrison Ford tends to fall a tad flat so I'm worried about them going forward now that they've killed him but uh, that was my biggest concern about this movie, and hey, Harrison Ford's pretty darn awesome. Uh, I have something. I have like two things I have to yell about. Well, hang on. Kind of negative. Hang on. But before we get into Does anyone that, else, I was gonna say, hang on. You know, Harrison Ford got top billing in this. Uh, if you look at the credits, and obviously he plays a huge part of this movie. So I want to give the other guys an opportunity to. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say. I thought he did a great job. I thought as the elder statesman of the movie, he he played a, a phenomenal role. I really enjoyed this. I, I really enjoyed the old man river version of of Han Solo. Um, I thought his death was sad, but it, but it was, but I saw it coming. So I was like, eh, all Again, right, well, we're finally here. Um, but I want to give the other guys an opportunity to speak on it. Yeah, go ahead. Ben? Um, not a, not a whole lot more to say. Uh, I totally agree. I was, as somebody who I had made it a point to watch the original trilogy pretty closely, like within days of, of going to see Force Awakens, uh, it's it's very clear how you know how Harrison Ford was able to jump back into that role, make it look easy, and make it look like it hadn't been thirty you know thirty plus years since the last time he did it. Um, everything was just there. The character was there, fully you know fully realized as you know simply you know an older version of that character that he played in in the original trilogy. Um, the mannerisms, the facial expressions, you know, the the snark, the uh, the tone of voice, the you know the the chemistry that he you know has with um, Chewbacca, uh, you know him talking his way out of like you know crazy deadly situations. It, it was all there, and it was you know just ex it's like he had never left. 
like you really got the feeling that you know this character had been around and 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 we had just not seen any of his adventures for 30 years but he he never truly left uh really quick before you jump in andrew i wanted to add this because it has to do with chewbacca something i forgot to say before one of the reasons why i sort of struggled with hansel's death scene was while the inter well again it was subdued it was a very subdued uh uh a subdued uh death scene for for harrison's harrison for han solo uh and I and I expected it to be much more over dramatic, I guess. Uh, but okay, that's the way they decided to handle it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bellyache about it. But what I thought was a missed opportunity in that scene was you have this character who's been with Han for the better part of you know for over thirty to forty years, for maybe even longer. Ever. Yeah. Chewbacca was and, Chewbacca and Han had this great relationship before Episode Four. But we meet so, them; they're already best friends. Right, and you know, and he has a life debt to him, and all this other stuff. Um, if you, if you, you know, if you go by the books and everything, I don't think it's ever actually said in the movies. But in any case, so you have you you have the best of friends for decades on end, and he just watched he just watched his best friend get stabbed in the gut and knocked down yet another pit. Uh, and he shoots a few people. Even Luke, who had just met Obi-Wan Kenobi and watched him die, went crazy and started shooting stormtroopers up and, you know, had to be dragged back into the Millennium Falcon lest he be shot himself. And here and here you have, you know, somebody who, what, what, is, what is the line, you know, if he loses a chest, he'll rip the arms off a Gundar or some nonsense that they say in the movies. You know, they've established that Chewbacca is this wild, woolly beast that, it, that if you make him angry enough, will just, you know, will we'll tear you limb from limb, quite literally. And now here's this opportunity to show Chewbacca go into a berserker rage. I wanted to see him... Uh, the, the, the Finn needed to drag him out of there, okay? Like, screaming. Finn, Finn almost needed to, like... Like, they needed to almost do the Billy D. Williams thing of, you know, getting him out of the cuffs and being choked momentarily and, and you know, and Leia going, Jesus, get off of him already. <laughs> enough, enough. I, I needed to see that. I needed to see... Um, I needed to see Chewbacca start tearing stormtroopers. I mean, I, I, I don't need to go rob a zombie blood gore here, but shooting a handful of stormtroopers and then voluntarily leaving undercuts their entire relationship and the, the drama and tension of that scene for me. I figured I figured uh, at that point that Chewie was actually going to go, um, just because from watching that scene of him hitting that detonator, was that he was going to be in close proximity to one of those and it was going to turn into a self-sacrifice thing. Yeah, and I would, I'm taking, uh, You took my best friend. I'm taking all of you with me. Yeah, I, you know, like he just loses sight of any, like ultimately put Ray and Finn in danger because he's decided that he can't go on without Han and he'll just blow himself up along with everybody else. Okay, I can dig that. I will take that in place of a berserker rage. Instead, I got kind of nothing. And then to top it all off, they, you know, it's the old Chewie doesn't get a metal scene. Ray comes off the Millennium Falcon. First thing she does is hu- is hug Princess Leia, and unless Princess Leia. Uh, underneath the, the beautiful music of John Williams whispered to her, I am your aunt, or I am your mother, or I am your Aunt Tilly, or whatever the, the case may be. I don't know why they're hugging. I guess, you know, the mutual relationship with Han Solo, but that's not enough for me. There needed to be, the first person off the Millennium Falcon should have been Chewbacca. They, she should have walked off the ship, walked directly up to Leia. They should have pulled the camera back and just giving them a minute on screen hugging each other. A silent a look and a silent embrace, and then they can get her off the goddamn ship and have her interact with her separately. Um, they took everything that should have been given to Chewbacca and gave it to Ray, and that's my only complaint about that character. 
Yeah, and you know what? I mean, I would have even gone a, f- a step further with that. I mean, I think you know, you maybe have have you know, you still have that scene with 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 uh, you know Ray and Leia where they're kind of comforting each other. But when Leia sees sees Chewie, they both just break down totally because I think that was the one thing that you were missing. Like, I mean, you know, we know that Leia's a cool customer, but gee, she was she was taking that pretty well. Yeah, I just I, I just felt like. You know, J.J. handles the emotions of real people, I think, very, very well in both this film and in the past um, two Star Trek films. And, and, and for me to say anything positive about that last Star Trek film, um, it, it, it takes a lot. I will say this, at least he at least he understands how people work, yeah. as opposed to his predecessor, who I don't think is knows how, I don't think he understands people at all. Um, but I feel like, I don't know if it was just a rush to get it done or... Maybe they just felt like who gives a who gives a shit about Chewie, or you know, or, or they never thought that it's ladder there. He got shortchanged throughout the entire film. Yeah, he he got reduced to like a clowning sidekick, and there's not much left of his character. So I don't know. It just that like you know when when we said at the top of the thing, you know, the movie's not perfect. This is one of those. This is one of those things where people are going to complain about the movie. Shut the fuck up about it. It's it's a it's a cover song of a new hope. How about focus on you know the drama of the thing? And in that instance, something that should have been overly dramatic was severely undercut. For what? And and I can't find a single reason why. I don't know what. I, I I'm not any more sympathetic towards Ray than I was before that scene or after. It mattered nothing to me, so why do it? That's that's where I am with that. Any thoughts there, Ben? No, it's not. I got nothing to add to that. That that was a missed opportunity. Um, especially you know they go through all the trouble of bringing back um, Peter Mayhew to play Chewbacca again. Um, you would assume it's because of you know. It's because they wanted to continue the chemistry they had in the original trilogy, and they did. They 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 had a lot of it, but uh, the natural progression of that would have been, you know, Chewie's reaction to Han dying. Um, and yeah, I I agree. It wasn't uh, it wasn't played as much as it could have and, and probably should have been. Um, you know, this is one of those times where we can say, you know, we may see fallout from that in the, in the next movie. But this is one of those instances where it, it kind of still isn't enough, uh, unfortunately. All right, Winfrey, what do you want to talk about next? You want to talk about Finn because we haven't really discussed him at all. We want to talk about Poe. You want to talk about the life and times of General Phasma or Captain uh, Phasma or Boba Fett or whatever the hell her name is. Boba Fett. <laughs> I... Again, I have a I have a few negative things I need to kind of get out here, but before oh, we get into any before we get into any of that, I have a mild disclaimer. I don't understand the complaints about anything re- pertaining to the character of Finn. I uh, I don't know. I don't find them to have any merit in legitimate reasoned argument. It's just not there. Give an example of a complaint about Finn that you that you see is that you see to be pointless. I, again, any complaints that I've seen about him, they, they, there's nothing there. It's like, well, I don't like. Okay, so you don't like. That's not a legitimate complaint. That's an I don't like. There's a world of difference. I mean, objectively, no, he's fine. He's a perfectly realized character who decides, no, I don't want to be a stormtrooper and murder innocent civilians. Oh, that's actually a good one, because I've heard that one, too, where people are like, I think that was another Landis issue. Sorry to keep bringing that guy up, but um, he, among many, uh, didn't understand why this stormtrooper suddenly had a crisis of conscience and abandoned the First Order. And I'm like, 
Are you fucking serious? Because he was just, he just saw, you know, a compatriot die violently and was then ordered to murder unarmed women and children. You know, sorry, your programming can be 99, your your conditioning and your mental programming as as an institution can be 99% effective. It's still 1% not. Congratulations. Here's your 1%. And by the way, wasn't it also established that this was pretty much the first time that they'd sent him out into combat? Am I wrong about that? No, you're not. Yeah. They bring that up a couple of times. He was, he, he was, you know, he was, sani- he, he worked sanitation. He was, a, he was, a he was basically a janitor. Uh, and, you know, then they, they stick him in a stormtrooper outfit and hand him a blaster and expect him to go out and kill people. Well, you know, you do that with anybody in real life and what's going to happen? I mean, if you compare the opening, the opening um, battle in A New Hope versus what you saw in The Force Awakens, it's night and day. There's no other way to describe it. You have a situation where two sets of armies are shooting at one another. You have another situation where where a village full of unarmed women and children are are shot torched are are shot and torched, you know, with no remorse. And I mean, if you if you look at like the history of of Vietnam and the kinds of things that, or even more recently, uh, Iraq. If you've ever had the the opportunity to talk to a returning soldier and see the kinds of things that they saw and were told to do, they too have cried. People abandon armies for this reason. So it's so aggravating to me that someone would have the gall to say, I don't understand why he turned from the, from the First Order. What do you mean? That happens in real life. Why wouldn't it happen here? Why is that not plausible? I've got a kind of an interesting statistic here. My my educational background and and a lot of military history, and there's a statistic floating out there that apparently 90% of frontline troops in World War II, when they were undeniably fighting, uh, you know, a bunch of bad guys, never fired their rifles. It takes a lot to murder another human being, more so than I think people realize, even well, even today. One of my history classes, you know, he started out by saying that, you know, war forces people to do two very unnatural things. Harm other human beings and put yourselves in danger. Right. Yeah. So you have a situation where, you know, of, of as Robert eloquently said, of the hundred of the hundred troops that they um, what was the term that you used? Conditioned. Condition, thank you. Of the hundred troops they cured, one of them it didn't take very well. One of them, when he was put into a situation that was so ghastly, he had forced him to have a crisis of conscience. And one of the guys who, who reviewed it for Screen Junkies made like a joke about it, like, "Oh, what, what was he upset that he got blood on his helmet? Are, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> they, they shot women and children and burned the village." <laughs> You know, just another day at the office, I suppose. And then one of his comrades gets killed right in front of him. So right. And then he goes on the ship and he's having yeah. what, what looks to be an anxiety attack. I'm sorry, with the amount of Xanax and Clonopin floating around in the open public, people should know what a goddamn anxiety attack looks like. Well, that assumes that the majority of Xanax and Clonopin is not misprescribed, Mark, and that's a pretty gross assumption at this point. <laughs> Fair enough. Can I say a no. one quick thing about Finn? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. One interesting thing I kind of found about him was that I think, you know, I mean, from the, from the you know, all the trailers and everything, when going into the movie, you know, you had the thing where, you know, there's been an awakening in the Force, and he's the first character you see. You know, they said you have to go in there with this assumption that, you know, he's Force-sensitive, and the, the whole setup of him having the lightsaber the entire time, and, and everything like that. And then, of course, it ends up being Rey, who's, who's the more Force-sensitive one. And I thought about it at the end of the day, and I actually think that not making him Force-sensitive makes that choice 
says a lot more about his character because he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have, pardon the pun, this outside force enacting on him in any way. He's not, you know, necessarily lights out of the force aligned. This is just a person who saw a situation he didn't like and made a moral choice. And I think that, I think it strengthens his character quite a bit. He also, I mean, and this is part of his, his arc. He also spends most of the movie trying to get the hell away from. I mean, when you when you think about his interaction with, with Ray in the cantina, <laughs> I was really hoping that we would have some jizz wailing, by the way. Jizz wailing, Benjamin Cologne. I wanted them to be jizz wailing all over that cantina. And instead, I'm not sure what kind of music that was. but uh, the, band was, was uh, on a, the band was on a break or something. I don't, I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't jizz wailing, I'll tell you that right now. There was no jizz wailing to be had, Andrew Graham. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? No jizz wailing. Kindly move on, Mark. <laughs> Play that same song again. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, the, the, that whole interaction with them in the cantina where he's like, I, I got to get away from them. You, there is real fear there. There is fear that he's going to get captured and he's going to get forced back and punished. And he is deathly, oh, he is the only character that is deathly afraid of what the of what the first order is, and that's with, without any real, you know, and and that's that's before they even introduce the Star Killer base. Just the entity in and of I would have been so much happier if he had just said, you know, in addition to being, you know, violent murders, murders without conscience, they've got a planet that's a gun. <laughs> But, he, but it was but that was sort of besides the point, and that's what I liked about him. It was it doesn't even matter that they've got a planet that's a gun. They're so awful, and I'm so afraid that I I, I just want to go. I want to be hidden. I, I don't want them to ever find me. And that's what's driving his his entire you know, all the actions up to that point. Um, and here's what I thought was a little rushed. He said, "There's a there's a line of dialogue where he's like, Ray, no one's ever looked at me like you looked at me.'" And I was like, "Okay, so he's in love with her." Eh, I, I, I just I guess love at first sight's a thing, but I feel I like of all the love thing. of all the hackneyed bits in Hollywood, why does it have to be you know love at first sight is a reason why people do stuff? I get enough of that in superhero movies. It drives me nuts. I didn't I, take it also, that she loved that he was in love with her. I took it more that in this instance, uh, he was. Uh, someone who looks at him like another human being instead that's, of just you know, as part of the institution. That's also but, but, how I felt. That's, but yeah. then, okay, uh, but then why the constant, you know, he, he made it a point to want her to come with him, and then when she was captured, he was overwhelmed by conscience to go get her. If it's not, I'm not saying there's not a little bit of a transference there. I'm just saying that that particular sequence was not necessarily about romantic love so much as just interpersonal connection. And okay, connection with another outsider. Okay, it just seemed it it, it just seemed rushed, too strong. It, it, it felt too con- you know. If, if if anything made me if, if anything made me think because the plot said so, it was that. I just I just didn't I didn't buy the sudden emotion drive to go get her but then they also they don't they also don't entirely like pull the trigger on a full-on romantic you know thing in this movie either which i actually thought was was a good move 
So yeah, the, there was there was some there was some restraint there. You get hints of things, but there's still some restraint. Yeah, it was very Pacific Rim. Will they? Won't they? They don't. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I just it was it was one of the things I struggled with in the movie, but not enough where like I understood its purpose, but it was that they, it it just for me it just felt like it it we we had to because the plot says we do. Um, I mean it was well acted. I'm not I'm not taking away from the performances. The performances are what carry the nonsense for me, but it just felt like it was nonsense. Sorry guys. Uh, I, I just I think you approached that from slightly the wrong angle. And again, I'm not saying that that's not where we might go in the future. In this instance of, you know, I felt their relationship was much less romantic and much more. Yeah, you know, again, I said you know a bit of transference, which is a psychological term that I don't know if Mark's familiar with or not. Given that you know, yes, I am. He's a mental health professional. He's not really a doctor. Never <laughs> claimed to be. I know. Yeah, I'm but, just making fun of you for not being a doctor. Thanks. What are you, my mother? Um, no. All right. Mr. Andrew, anything left on Finn? Uh, not much. Great character. Looking forward to where he goes for the next one. Yeah. Ben? Um, I might actually have quite a bit to say. I actually... Um, I'm going back and forth in my head now. I probably, you know, this. I'm going to need to see this movie several times no matter what, but I'm still debating whether or not Finn is actually my favorite character in the movie. It's pretty close, if not. Um, that was and, not General Hux. Just kidding. Go on. Shut up, Mark. He was, <laughs> he was also Bill Weasley in, in some of the Harry Potter movies, so there's yeah, that. He was. Um, so that's what I recognized him from. Um, the token evil ginger that can kind of pass as, you know, oh, look, he's vaguely similar to the Aryans that the Nazis used to hold up. And, boy, we can't actually create a legitimate evil empire in this, so we'll just shove fascist uh, iconography yeah. at you and make you react on that kind of level instead of actually creating characters that go along with, you know, being evil. And No, no, we'll just take yeah. the cheap and easy way out. Uh, admittedly, that was not subtle. I don't – I do not disagree with you on that. That was <laughs> – that was about as blatant as you could get. Where it goes from there, I don't know. <laughs> to the point where they all throw yeah, up the, the Nazi Empire kind of relied on a lot of that imagery. Pretty much. But uh, unfortunately, fascism is uh, something you know is something that is sort of a reoccurring theme in these sorts of in these sorts of stories. Um, with that, but, I just like, hey, create a create a character. I mean, you've got Kylo Ren as kind of the tortured. And there's a constant, there was a very interesting dynamic in the original trilogy between Vader, who is not military, and the military. You know, he, they both serve under the Emperor, who is kind of the leader of both the religion and the military governing, and the governing body. And it, 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 again, it creates an interesting dynamic there. In this one, we've got Ren as, you know, the, the still undeveloped you know, disciple of the dark side, and the military has no legitimate presence. There's no, I mean, there's no Grand Moff Tarkin, if we need a kind of one-to-one comparison. I never, I don't know if I ever gave as much credit to Grand Moff Tarkin as most people, uh, as most other people seem to. I always joke, you know, I joked in my own, like, little mini-review that I put on Facebook that uh, Hux was sort of the character that uh, Grand Moff Tarkin would have been if he wasn't an idiot. Uh, (laughs) Make of that what you will, but um, I got I I, I want to get back to tar- talking about Finn real quick. Um, I had something, you know, I have um, I I also put this on Facebook. It's by uh, an artist that I follow, a really talented guy by the name of uh, Jamal Eigel. 
um, who does a lot of stuff that I'm uh, that I'm into. But he actually gave his own review, and he actually specifically gave his own review of, of Finn's character. I guess because you know there's there's some criticism about him as well. Um, which baffles me even more than the criticism about Ray. There, there are things, there, there are legitimate things to criticize about Ray. I, uh, a lot like what you were saying, Robert. A lot of the criticisms leveled at Finn as a character, I have, le- I have a much harder time understanding. But he wrote something, and I actually, uh, it pretty much sums up my thoughts. So if it's cool with you guys, I just wanted to read what, uh, what was said because I think it's important. Yeah, go uh, for it. Uh, and he actually compares Finn to Han Solo, and and that's important for me because I think um, Finn kind of had some of the best qualities of Han and Luke, which is probably why he's you know pretty much probably going to end up being my favorite character in the movie. But it says, um, and I'm quoting here, uh, like Han, Finn is our everyman. He's the entry point hero we follow through the story. Like Han, Finn is normal. He's not royalty nor superpower force wielder. In fact, until being handed a lightsaber by uh, Maz Quintana, he, he'd never even seen one outside of Kylo Ren's. He's a guy trying to, sk- to escape his past who keeps being drawn back to doing the right thing. He fights his fears to say Poe, then later Ray. People forget that Han Solo spent the majority of both Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back trying to leave the rebellion. Han wasn't a hero. He didn't want to go to the Death Star to rescue Leia until the promise of a reward was placed in front of him. He was ready to leave before the Battle of Yavin, but came back because he knew it was the right thing to do. In spite of that, he fell into the role of leader, not out of duty, but love. Love for Leia and Luke. Yet even in the beginning of Empire, he was still planning on leaving since the bounty on his head was so high there was nowhere for him to hide. Han wasn't a particularly great shot or an expert pilot. He had the fastest ship only by default. He wasn't naturally brave and was captured by the Empire, frozen in carbonite, and mounted on Jabba's wall. The thing that made Han popular was his everyman quality. He was the one character in the original trilogy who was the skeptic. He didn't believe in the Force, calling it simple tricks and nonsense. Like Finn, Han fought his instinct to do the right thing. As we get to know Finn, we discover who he was. He was a nameless drone who worked in sanitation. Funny, charismatic in his way, and much to his surprise, brave. What makes Finn work for me as a character that is that is that in spite of the fact that he's not the super Negro a lot of potential viewers are hoping for, his words... Instead, Finn ends up being the hero. When Rey is down, he steps forward, lightsaber in hand to take on Kylo Ren. The Resistance is only able to take down a Starkiller base because Finn knows his way around, providing them with the critical information to not only get past their shield, but to destroy the reactor. And he goes on to say, there's a quote I like, being brave doesn't mean you are not scared. It means you are scared, but you do what has to be done anyways. I like that. You know what's funny? Um, Clowns. Growing up as a kid, um, my favorite character in the Star Wars trilogy was Han Solo. You know, he was he was cool as the other, as the other side of the pillow. He was, um, you know, he 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 was the kind of hero uh, that if I was a hero, I imagined myself like I could be. Later on, I would be a huge fan of Kevin Nash uh, as Diesel. Go figure. Must be something about you know leather jackets and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, it's funny because I, I look back and I see all this, pe- all these people getting so excited about Luke, and I think somebody even here said they're a huge fan of Luke Skywalker, and I was like, man, Luke doesn't really do anything for me. I, you know, hands the guy, you know. Um, but 
as I as I approach forty and I watch this movie, I look at it and I go, you know, if Finn is the Han Solo character um, and Rey is Luke Skywalker, I'm actually more drawn to Rey. I find her to be a much more interesting person. And I don't dis- disregard anything that was just said. I think it's a great synopsis of Finn. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, but I still find Rey, if I had to pick one, Rey to be a more interesting character. Um, just 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 something just just something different about her. Um, anything else on Finn? I got nothing. Okay, uh, we got about twelve minutes left before we go into before we go off live and we're into pre-recorded. And if this is going to be anything like our last couple of shows, Block Talk Radio will decide when we're done. So <laughs> we should probably we should probably start to uh, move towards a, a close here. But I, I think it would be remiss without talking about the the third part of the triangle of new heroes, Mr. Poe Dameron. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to let you uh, speak on this. Poe Dameron, any thoughts? Any burning desires? Um. Not a lot to say about Poe. I mean, you know, he kind of, they didn't give him a lot to do or, you know, a big, a big arc in a lot of ways. I mean, he showed up, he was really likable. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the character again, but he wasn't given a lot to do. I mean, you know, his motivation, he's a member of the resistance. He's a kick-ass fighter pilot. And that's basically him. He's, you know, he's, he's a likable character, brings a lot of charisma to the, to the screen, a lot of good screen presence. And that was about it. Ben? Um, I like Poe for what little time he was on screen. He was, he's the type of character that, um, you know, he's definitely got like some of the more like, you know, charismatic and, and flamboyant qualities that, you know, everybody loved about Han Solo. And, and it was pointed out that, you know, he, he kind of bookended the movie while Han was in the middle. Cause you, you don't necessarily want two Han Solos because if you've got two of them, the guy that, that Harrison Ford is playing is going to win, uh, in a battle of screen presence. Which I agree with, and I'm sure J.J. Abrams, you know, saw that immediately, so it was a good call. Um, but we're, uh, you know, it's a good introduction, and we'll probably see more of more of him, you know, in, in future movies. And and Oscar Isaac is is really really good at playing that type of character. It would seem um, they did good. They, uh, you know, he and Finn had good chemistry. Uh, the, they actually had some of the funnier parts in the beginning of the movie where. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Finn is like, you know, telling him not saying, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. He's like, I'm not panicking. Finn's like, I'm talking to myself. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like when, you know, in the face of, you know, Kylo Ren, uh, uh, Poe is still talking trash or he's still like trying to be cool. <laughs> he's like, do you talk, you know, do you talk or I, or do I talk? How, does, how do these sorts of things work? That is, um, what is it? It's like one of the first lines of dialogue of the movie that really does set the tone, doesn't it? Yeah, um, that's another thing like that's worth mentioning. This movie is funny, and it's funny when exactly when it needs to be, and that yeah. helps a lot because as so you know, and it, and once again, it kind of like you know exposes mo- most of the prequels, you know, how, of as how sterile they were and how badly a lot of the attempts to be funny in the prequels fell flat. Um, Misa has no idea what you'd be talking about. Yeah, jeez. Thanks a lot. And are you talking about aggressive negotiation? Yeah. And, you know, probably thanks uh, in no small part to, you know, the fact that they actually made it a point to bring back Lawrence Kasdan to write, you know, to write the script for this movie, which probably made all the difference um, in terms of, you know, the, the old familiar characters and establishing some new ones and, um, you know, keeping the tone. Light when it needs to be, dark when it needs to be, exciting when it needs to be. Um, but 
Yeah, uh, we got a good introduction to Poe. He kind of like he he started things off and then just kind of stepped aside and you know for the uh, for the rest of basically the middle part of the movie and then came back to go and you know blow stuff up, which I'm okay with. I I um so so that I'm, I don't sound like I'm just you know a Star Wars apologist here. Um, I'll, I'll join in the in the chant of people saying the whole end sequence with the Star Killer base was a yawn. Obviously, it was a retread of. I'm going to say Return of the Jedi because at least in a, in, a, in a New Hope, you know, there was a different there was a different thing going on. The Re- Return of the Jedi, if you'll remember, the story is they got to get the shields down in order to get into the damn trench, and and the, the Death Star wasn't firing on any planet; it was firing on the ships. Um, I so it just the end sequence felt felt more to me like Return of the Jedi. Um, somebody made a made a comment. You know, they, they felt like they threw the Star Killer base in there so that the Xians would have something to do. And yeah, probably. You know, also because when you think about Star Wars, you think that you know the Death Star is in two out of three, two out of the three of the original movies. It's uh, it's a huge part of what people remember about these movies. So I'm not surprised they threw it in there. I thought it, I thought they did take it up a notch. You know, this time it's a planet. It's not a it's not a um, space station. You know, it's drawing energy from the sun. And all that. Oh, um, that's a horrible. Paced, was, I, the thing of it is, is that it's a backdrop. And this it is what was I paced to say. similarly. Like that last act was paced similarly to Return right. of the Jedi, where it was going back and forth between lightsaber battle and um and you know the stuff going on with the with the base and the shields and everything. And in right. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I in Return of the Jedi, I thought the lightsaber battle was way more interesting as I did yep. in this case in this movie. Oh, that, so you know, works that way. That's where I was going with this, and I'll, and I'll throw it to Andrew. Um, is I felt like it had to be there for all the reasons I said to it almost two hours ago. It was on the checklist, but really, the climax of the movie takes place between Finn, Ray, and Kylo Ren. That's it. That's that. That is your final conflict. That's what the whole movie is leading up to. No one gives a shit about the Star Killer base. It's just there for nostalgia purposes. It's there to give uh, Oscar Isaac uh, a heroic thing to do at the end of the movie. But it's just a backdrop. It's 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 you know it's scenery. The real thing, the real crux, the the climax of this whole thing is the battle between Ray, Kylo Ren, and Finn. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, I totally agree with where you guys are going with that one. I think the other problem of it is that they also pretty much found the coolest stuff to do with the X wings during the uh, the the fight on I can't remember the planet's name where, where you run into uh, to Kaz. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a shot during that scene that just blew me away where you had uh, you had it from the ground point of view you had Poe's X-wing coming and it was easy to pick out because it was all black came in shot down a couple of Tie fighters turned around strafed some Imperial troops came back around shot down a couple of more Tie fighters and that's also the point where Finn kind of turns around and says damn who is that pilot and it was you yeah. don't see that's one of those you know just. When you talk about really good, really well composed action sequences, that's what you're, you know, that's what I think you're really talking about when you've got a good shot, some interesting stuff going on, and it's well paced and it's easy to see, and it's just plain damn cool. That was pretty sweet. It was. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a great scene. Um, there's a couple of characters we didn't talk about. I think in terms of plot, um, I'll, I'll just do a quick uh, review. Love the opening. The, I mean, the opening really, uh, sh- really shook me. That's um, the last. I, I I was 
I felt horrible for the people in the village. I mean, you know, if films are supposed to make you feel something, it ran. I ran the gamut of emotions. I was happy. I was sad. I was frightened. You know, the whole the whole nine yards, and that's what made this movie a success for me. Not this nitpicky bullshit um, that some of the other people are focusing on. But uh, I, you know, I I was taken for an emotional ride. Go, go ahead, Andrew. Oh, I was just making a comment about literally the way they open that, you know, the first shot after the scroll, and you just have, I think it's the moon of, of Jakku, and you just have the um, the Star Destroyer come over and just blank it out. Like, it's just a great shot. Yes. Uh, obviously reminiscent of A New Hope, but still, yep. you know, it was it was like seeing an old friend. Um, I'm sorry, I guess I, I was it Winfrey or, or Benjamin that was starting to cut me off? No, you just said, uh, you know, that you took you went on an emotional ride and that was what made you happy, not the nitpicky stuff. And I just said hi. <laughs> I'm sorry, Winfrey. I love you. Um, you're, you're still you're still the man. Uh, but uh, you know, so that whole opening sequence it is just great. You know, it's horrifying in all the right ways. Um, it gets lightened up by you know Paul Dameron's uh, sort of reaction to things. BB-8's a fun character. Just as an aside, can. Uh, yes, my background is in psychology, and I've worked um, a lot with women and children throughout the over 10 years I've been in the profession. Could someone tell me what the, what the obsession with R2-D2 is all about among women fans of this franchise? Some, someone want to weigh in here because I'm fucking confused. I, I got, it was a girl. I, I got on. nothing. I got to tell the story here real quick. So we went to the after party at Hollywood Studios when the movie was over. My best friend and I, who, who saw the movie, and they did kind of, you know, it, it was just, they, they wanted people to talk about the movie because they knew that, you know, we were seeing it Thursday night, and obviously a lot of people hadn't seen the movie yet. So they're like, okay, well, this is your opportunity to talk about the movie uh, with other people who saw it because you can't go online and talk about it right now without spoiling it for people. Goes to, and so, so, so they did like a talk show. And the first person they brought to talk about it, they were like, what did you think of the movie? Well, not enough R2-D2. And my friend and I actually, we were like distracted from what we were doing for a moment, turned around, looked at her and said, please find someone else to talk to. Like, just, what, women walking around in R2-D2 skin tight dresses, which is awesome, by the way, but it's still something I don't really get. Like, why is that character? Why, what is the connection between uh, women and R2-D2? Anyone got something for me here? Never thought it was specifically women. I just, you know, some people uh, just kind of attached to to R two, and you know, uh, sometimes you get a lot by you get by a lot, you know, depending on how you know how it's written and how you know how it goes along. And and R two got a, got got by a lot with just you know actions and just you know the the cute you know bleeps and bloops that. Um, you know the sound design it had laid out for uh, for for the droid. Um, sometimes less is more, and, and even when it comes to you know characters like that that don't speak, um, you know it, I guess it just hit a nerve with some with some people in that way. I you know I like R two as a character. I like BB eight as 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 a character in so much as they were you know capable of being characters. Um, I'm not. BB eight can give the thumbs up. That was awesome. That was, by the way. Come on, yeah, <laughs> that was, that was so on. great. <laughs> but I guess, I mean, like, I'm, not, I'm not making a comment about uh, about women, you know, in any kind of way, other than I've noticed that I I feel like, and this is purely from observation. I don't have any hard data to back to back this up. I just feel like I see more women drawn to that particular character. Like you would think they'd be drawn more to, you know, Princess Leia, but I've seen just as many women drawn to R2D2 more so than any other character in, in the Star Wars universe. I'm like, and I don't get the connection. I don't know what's what's there for women that that they would be drawn to that. particular character. It's good. I have an irreverent. I, I have a very irreverent suggestion, but 
<laughs> you, Winfrey Irreverent, do tell. Uh-oh. <sighs> I almost hesitate to say it. Uh, now you've built it up too much. Yeah, no, no I can't. <laughs> All right, Andrew, you got anything? Oh, okay, okay. Let me just put it this way. He's a silver and blue bullet. Boo. <laughs> See? Eh? Get it? <laughs> yeah, sir. I, I told you it was irreverent. I never said it was funny. Go pick up a saxophone and get to some jizz wailing, all right? Jizz wailing. You, you had that coming, Robert. I did. Uh, Andrew, R2-D2 and the, and the, uh, the, the, the feminine, um, feminine females, as opposed to the Chinese Chinaman. Google <laughs> yourself, sir. Um, it's very hard for me to comment on that one as, uh, as I've been with my wife for eight years and she's never, I've never actually gotten her to watch all of the original Star Wars movies. Okay. And it's not, not something you've picked up on ca- from casual observation, huh? This is just me. I stand alone here. Yeah, no, I've never really noticed that. I mean, you know, everyone loves R2-D2 because it, it's, you know, kind of a funny nonverbal character and, you know, that's why they brought along BB-8, which, by the way, completely kick-ass. They did that as a practical effect and not a CG. Oh, I did not that. realize until like almost a, less than a week before I saw the movie that, that 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 was not CG, and I'm very impressed by that. Yeah, they actually rolled them out on uh, I think on one of the press tours when they were saying, "Oh yeah, it's not CG." No one was believing them, and then they rolled them out on a press tour and they said, "Yep, here he is." <laughs> okay. Um, I uh, so yeah, just kind of rolling through the plot here. Um, I really enjoyed the, the whole sequence, the, the sequence of events on Jakku. I enjoyed how all the characters got together. No problems up to that point. Uh, I, I enjoyed the sequence on the freighter with Han and Chewie. You know, I got, even though they show it in the trailer, I still got goosebumps when they finally walk on the ship and there's that whole interaction. It was fun to watch Han being Han trying to talk his way out of being shot at. Um, someone commented that the monsters didn't look real. I thought the monsters were fine. Um, yeah, should... the monsters on the freighter were crap. Um, didn't bother me, but then again, the, the CGI and the Phantom Menace doesn't bother me either. So, um, so I, I, I'm not... I envy you, sir. <laughs> um, someone suggested they should have just cut that entire sequence, and I said, "Why? It was fun. It shows Han being Han. And given that this is going to be the character's final bow in the series, why not give him that extended opportunity to be himself?" Um, a little trouble, like I said, when they, when they, when they get to the Hosnian system and, and they get to the cantina, the stuff with Finn and Ray, I, I already talked about, I had some trouble with. What I loved was the flashback sequence. Did not expect her to reject the lightsaber, and I thought it was great that at first she sort of rejects everything out of hand and goes running into the woods. Um only to be caught by Kylo Ren. Their, uh, their exchange on... Um, in the base or wherever the you know in, in in the evil headquarters, uh, you know when he's questioning her, I like that. Um, I, I've talked about I had some trouble with a hand hand death scene and how it was handled, but overall, you know, it was a good farewell to the character. Uh, I the whole attack on Starkiller Base was a yawn for me, but it was a yawn that you know was, um, I can live with. The whole existence of Starkiller Base was handled so poorly; it was a yawn. Um, they could have put in any other MacGuffin for that one, and, and the movie would have been fine. Yeah. And then finally, uh, just to sort of wrap this up, um, that last, I, I I liked her climbing and climbing and climbing and finally getting there, and you know, and you don't know what Luke's reaction is going to be. It's all left as a mystery. My only my only problem is the face she makes. She makes this really like anxious, almost 
frightened face, and I don't quite understand why. <laughs> like, I don't really, I, I guess on one level I do, but it was just, it was, I don't know if it fit the scene very well. I just I just thought it was an odd acting choice, and the fact that Abrams let it stand in, in, in the final cut, I just was like, oh, I don't know if that's what I would have gone with. I don't know, I... I was because at this point you figure like you know from where she was from and where she had grown up and the things that she had you know heard about and Luke Luke Skywalker I guess had gotten to the point where he was this almost folk hero that he's so like large he was so larger than life over the past thirty years you know hearing stories about what happened and and what he did that I guess um, you know she was play- she seemed to be playing it like you know she wasn't he wasn't one hundred percent real to her up until that point that she actually looked him in the eye that's mm-hmm. That's, that's what I that's what I got out of it. It just it just struck me as weird that whole it, that whole moment where he turns and looks at her and she kind of you know holds out the lightsaber really awkwardly. I, I just it's a great way to end it on the one hand as sort of a cliffhanger. On the other hand, it just looked awkward, and I I, I had some trouble with my. It's like my last thing I remember about this movie is huh. Can I also say as an aside, as a complete aside, I am super jealous of Mark Hamill's old man beard. <laughs> yeah. My father made a, made a point of saying that's the best he's ever seen Mark Hamill look. So that was funny. Um, Andrew, you want to, that, that's my summation of the film. Thought it was great. Going to see it again next week. Um, since I now just established the babysitter for Tuesday. Um, I'm going to go see it with my wife. It'll be the second time I'm seeing the movie. Thought it was a great kickoff to seeing um, years, a picture a year from uh, from Lucasfilm slash Disney, and I'm excited to see where they go next now that they've got the uh, now that they've got the rust off the product. Andrew, your your final thoughts? Um, I mean, very much in the same, uh, you know, kind of the same lines as you, Mark. Um, I think actually kind of leaving the. Yeah, the staging might have been a bit awkward, but leaving the uh, the final exchange between uh, Luke and Ray there as as being kind of speechless, I thought was kind of a nice touch, and, and kind of it makes you you know want to find out what happens next. Um, to be perfectly honest, I didn't love the monster scene on the trailer. I'm or sorry on the freighter rather. I figured they could have they could have done something else. Although I'm gonna totally voice my own bias here that I noticed that that one of the uh, the smuggler crews was basically half the uh, the starring cast of the raid movies and. Having these guys on screen and not have them fight people is is just uh, a disappointment. I would agree with that. And having Donnie Yen in Rogue One not being not being allowed to wield the lightsaber is just a tragedy, as far as I'm concerned. He's not. Oh, wait, wait a you're minute. not wrong at all about that being a tragedy. Wait a He's not. Well, apparently, I've heard the raid guys might actually be uh, getting fit in there as uh, Knights of Ren. Hmm. I, I I assume that since Rogue One is set, you know pre-New Hope that Donnie Yen will not have a lightsaber, which is a, a tragedy. Yep. Absolute tragedy. Now, now I'm kind of bummed. That, that was one of the main things I was looking forward to in Rogue One. So like, if anyone these... can make that work, you know, I have some faith in Gareth Edwards at this point. Oh, sure, but so I mean... Good. I mean, how do you not cast? How do you not cast Donnie Yen in a Star Wars movie and not give him a lightsaber? I, I don't. That doesn't compute. I, I hope he finds one. I really do. <laughs> it's just lying on the side of the road somewhere. Uh, ben, your summation of the uh, of the movie. Go. 
Um, entertain the hell out of me. I really enjoyed it. It's worth, uh, you know, it's worth multiple viewings in the theater, which is not something I say about almost any movie these days, because movies are really expensive, especially where I live. Um, but I probably will be seeing it sometime next week. Most likely, I'm going to pop for the IMAX 3D to see it with a good friend of mine. That's the plan. Um, I will mention something else. Like, uh, and I said, you know, Star Wars, I think as of now, we can be... We can be hopeful that Star Wars is in good hands. It was in good hands with Abrams. He he got the ball rolling. It wasn't perfect, but he definitely got the ball rolling. Episode 8 is be, apparently being written and directed by Ryan Johnson, um, who some people might know directed uh, Brick and Looper. And I know Robert is familiar with his work because uh, Ryan Johnson actually directed uh, some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad, uh, including uh, Ozymandias. Uh, so take oh, that for what episode. it's, yeah, so he's, he's got episode eight and apparently from what I've read today, J.J. Abrams got a look at his script and, um, he, he remarked that he, he, he remarked that the script was so good. He now regrets not deciding to direct episode eight. I mean, you know, take that for what it's worth, but apparently there's a lot of good buzz already about the story behind episode eight. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's a guy who, I, much as Brick is odd for me to view, and... Me too, but I, I still, I, it has its moments. It does, and Looper I'm really on the fence about, but, but again, the stuff he did on Breaking Bad was just phenomenal, so I, I will go ahead and be optimistic about that at the moment. Uh, my only gripe, and this bothered me because, again, there are random details that stick out to me. Designing a weapon that draws that much energy from your star that your planet orbits is a bad idea. <laughs> Guys, stars are finite resources. The shelf life is, again, longer than any human will ever live, but they're still finite. And once you get rid of it, then, you know, you get it collapses, and then you get a black hole. So you've now created a, you created a weapon that fires a grand total of twice, given how much energy you drain from your sun. Good efficiency there, guys. Look for Robert Winfrey's new show coming to the Rattledge and Broadcasting uh, Network, uh, Mr. The Return of Mr. Wizard. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson may have already had at the Star Killer, actually. Good for him. <laughs> he, he would. He well, also, also, you know. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what he does at this point. Your movie is set in space. Here's where it's wrong. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it. I think overall, we all um, we we run the gamut of really liked it to mostly indifferent. Um, so uh, I want to I want to first say thank you to Andrew and Ben for joining a very special episode of the uh, movie review club here with myself and Mr. Winfrey. It was fun having you guys on. You you certainly brought a lot of. Uh, a lot of pizzazz to the show, and I, and I certainly enjoyed having you know having the discussion with you. Um, Save Winfrey and I from yelling at one another for an hour, which was <laughs> what would have happened. Um, so, with that said, go, Ben, go ahead and plug your website and your comic and all that. Okay, I'll make this one relatively quick. Um, uh, yeah, I, as always as ever, I write, draw, self-publish a comic called Soul, Exo uh, Soul Exodus. Damn, you'd think I'd get this as many times as I've, as I've already done it before. It's late. 
Um, you can find it on my website, soulexo.com, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash soulexo, or on Twitter, at soulexocomic. I'm also opening the floor to uh, commission work. Uh, I got um, doing a, a lot of blank uh, comic book covers, a lot of sketch covers. Um, you can hit me up either on Twitter, or if you don't have Twitter, you can email me at bjc at soulexo.com. Uh, for information about what I have to offer as far as sketches, as far as commissions, and as far as pricing. So, please, well, if you're interested, look me up. Uh, I, when am I getting when am I getting my half Indominus Rex, half shark tearing apart a Carnival Cruise Line? We're gonna have to talk privately about that one. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tall that's a tall order. <laughs> Okay. All right. Andrew, anything uh, you want to plug? Well, hang on. I I want to uh, I want to quick make sure Ben know, Ben knows. Long Road to Ruin is currently on hiatus. It will be back. Um, its first night back will be January seventh. We will be doing the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, you know, Frodo. Um, uh, what's his face? Aragorn, the Ring, Sauron, the whole bit. Trust me, I got an idea for it already. Can you please uh, talk about how badly J.R.R. Tolkien writes characters? Sure. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sore on your picture, aren't I? I can feel it. Or I'm going to be Gollum falling into the lava. I know how you are, sir. Um, <laughs> and that's why I'm going to do something completely different. I feel like he's going to be Gimli to Sean's Legolas. Yeah, probably. Um, and I'm going to be, you know, they're going to be tossing me or something. Keep assuming. <laughs> Keep assuming, guys. <laughs> and then on the 21st, uh, we're going to be looking at the last, uh, admittedly, Peter Jackson's mess of a trilogy, uh, The Hobbit. So that's it should have been a trilogy. It should have been two movies. Uh, so I just wanted to let, so while Ben was on here, I wanted to make sure people knew about that, because Ben also does our title card art for uh, Long Road Touring, which slowly but surely I will be uploading to YouTube. So you'll be able to listen to the podcast here on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network, or you'll be able to listen to them on YouTube, which apparently is a thing. Um, myself and Robert will be back. Uh, we, we added a review just because of the, the way things worked out timeline-wise. Uh, a week from tonight, we'll be reviewing the big short, and then we'll, that pushes the hateful eight to January 6th. So if you were like, oh, my God, I can't go an entire month without hearing Mark and Robert argue about movies, uh, now you'll only be a three-week break in between um, the hateful eight and Kung Fu Panda 3. Hooray! Uh, Andrew, you got anything to plug, anything to talk about, any burning desires, any secrets you'd like to reveal? Uh, no secrets to reveal. Uh, I think I am scheduled to join you and Sean on the uh, the Lord of the Rings and, and Hobbit uh, reviews, actually, for Long Road to Ruin. Yes, sir. And, uh, oh, I already have some rants lined up for that one, so uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, outside of that, um, I'm actually going to plug where I uh, where I train at. I train at um, Havoc, G Kundo, and here in Calgary. That can be reached at calgaryjkd.com, which is a part of, uh, that's under Sifu uh, J. Cooper. And uh, that's uh, affiliated with the uh, G Kundo Athletic Association under uh, Sifu Her- Her- uh, Herinder Singh Sabarol. That's at uh, jkdathletics.com. Uh, again, Ben, Andrew, thank you for joining us. We hope you had a wonderful time discussing this movie. Hope it was everything you thought it might be and more. Good times. Thanks very much, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, All right. You got a show, and someday you have a bad guy show to bring back. Yeah, that's going to wind up coming back, I think, second week of January is when I will have that. It, it just it lines up terribly for the next, like, towards the end of the year, this time around. As far as, you know, falling on holidays and... <laughs> 
whatnot. So, but it will be coming back next year. I, again, I think second week of January. I'm sitting down. I'm going to write out what I you know, the stuff I want to do. I'm going to get with you and figure out when you're going to insist I you know, synchronize up with other stuff that's going on here on the network and whatnot. So we'll get that all hammered out. In the interim, you can hear me host the 411 Ground and Pound radio show every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Last week, we reviewed UFC on Fox 17, Night of the Underdog, unless your name was Donald Cerrone, in which case you performed as expected. Real quick, to anyone who's... I'm in Factor Fiction this week, and I made the, and I made the point of saying that he uh, no one cracks under pressure like Donald Cerrone, king of the mental midgets. In terms of his ability to continue to fight well on, in high-stakes circumstances, I'm in no way calling him an idiot. <laughs> I'm just saying when, when, when the stakes are high, he tends to forget how to fight very well and get beaten rather easily. That's it. All I meant by that statement, sorry if I offended everyone. Good grief. Yeah. I knew what you meant, and I agree with you. Yeah. Speaking I, I of fact or fiction, I was in last week's, and uh, I lost, which is kind of my lot in life. I'm currently winning. Woohoo! Of course you are. You have, you know, friends and family who will vote for you, and I have, you know, loose associates who pretend they don't know me whenever things get bad. Stop. <laughs> we love, <laughs> I we love, love you. for you. Thanks. <laughs> now, uh, you can read all of my, uh, the last couple of weeks in MMA were a tad bit crazy. You can read all of my reports on the UFC action from the last little bit. Uh, I believe four events over the last week, last two weeks, and you know, going backwards. So a big thank you to anyone who was following along for all of those, who may have commented, who's read that. I do appreciate that also. Thank you very much. Including my review of UFC on Fox 17, Dos Anjos versus Cerrone. Again, seven consecutive upsets. And I, I feel like I feel like there's at least one of those I should have been able to call. And for some reason, just none of them I did. Uh, of course, I'm still kicking myself for not picking Holly Holm to beat Ronda Rousey because everything played out as it should have given all available information. For some reason, I just couldn't see it. So, uh, this coming, not this week, next week, January 2nd, Saturday, UFC 195, Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler, someone's going to die inside of 25 minutes. I will have live coverage of that over at 411. Seriously, if there was ever a fight where someone's going to die, Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler. I'm really looking forward to seeing Robbie Lawler fight Carlos Condit. You just had to make that joke, didn't you? (laughs) Every time. Martin, quick question for you. Yes, sir. When you were at you were at the uh, Sharoni Dos Anjos fight, correct? Yes, I was, sir. How how loud did you yell out? Go get some Donald Sarone! <laughs> oh, my wife and I were were just incorrigible. We we had a lot of fun with that. Of course, did you see the picture my wife put up of me when Do, when Dos Santos got TKO'd? Yeah. Yeah, that was. Oh man, I just desperately desperately want Alistair Overeem to go away. <laughs> well, after uh, the winner, he's very of slowly last shrinking. <laughs> Look, he'll he'll have his title so fight. Half life. He'll have his title fight. He'll <laughs> most likely lose, and then he'll probably will go away. But you gotta you gotta give him his title fight first. Yeah, uh, he's very close, fight. if nothing else. Unless, he of is, course, there's a disputed finish to Fabricio Verdum beating Cain Velasquez again. And UFC goes, no, that was stopped too early. We demand another fight. Yeah. yeah is it, I getting... worry about Overeem getting into a title fight. Is that he's just heavy-handed enough is that he could win one. He could. Yeah. Listen, I don't think he can beat Fabricio Verdum again. 
I hate Cain Velasquez. So if Cain Velasquez ends up getting his title back and he fights Overeem, you know, never in my mind will there be a you know clearer person who should win a fight, Alistair Overeem. And, you know, and we'll see what happens after. I absolutely can't stand Cain Velasquez. But this is not the MMA show. God damn it. Plugs, plugs, plugs. Uh, look, I don't think Cain beats Verdum. I just don't. And Verdum's a whole lot different from the guy who flopped around like a trout the last time he fought over him. So. Oh, Joy O'Rapser, as I said, in Book Factor Fiction. At the idea and, of... and you meant it is the crazy thing. <laughs> Even I have my limit. All right, Jeff. Take all right, on, all right. Um, so apart from all of that... Uh, that's everything. I'm going to, uh, I don't say this as often as I used to. I got really burned out the last couple of weeks on MMA, but I might be doing kind of a 2015 retrospective piece. I read Jack Slack's, uh, Slacky Awards, and thankfully he didn't touch on a few of the things that I would want to, because every time I read what he writes, and there's something that I wanted to say in there, I just decide I will never, ever be able to write that well, so I'm just not going to try. But so I might have something for the end of the year and the end of year awards in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. I will be participating in those, so take a look at those. They're always, you know, good for a laugh or two. I'm going to laugh uh, at all the Conor McGregor indignation because I don't know where he's going to finish in the voting, <laughs> but it might not be where everyone wants. Uh, all right, on that note, thank you everyone for listening. Mark and I will be back in, again, a couple of weeks, uh, next week for the big short. Uh, until then, please conti- uh, big thank you again to Andrew Graham and Benjamin Cologne for stopping by, for contributing to this, or it wasn't Mark and I yelling about minutia, because I fixate. <laughs> I really do. Uh, until next time, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. Play, damn it.